Welcome to the bunker. On the bunker today, I have Sylvie Lauter. Sylvie is a journalist. She writes for a magazine called Respect. And when she started there 16 years ago, she started in politics, covering that segment, including interviews with former president Václav Havel, who was the main guy here. The guy that they voted as the first president of Czechoslovakia back in 89, when the Iron Curtain came down. In recent years, Sylvie has transitioned into becoming the face of feminism in the country. So she came on my podcast, told me her story, the status of feminism, Me Too, and a little bit about political corruption and such things. Enjoy. I almost forgot to talk about one of my main sponsors, um, the Old Bar. That's a little place, cozy place in Karlin in Prague. Uh, just off Krisikova. Uh, as the name kind of indicates, it sells oats, oatmeals, um, and some really healthy goodies made out of no nasty stuff. There is no white sugar, no white flour, none of this crap. And they have this amazing skier. I'm Icelandic, and I love skier. I've been eating it since I was a kid. And the old part is the only place in Prague that has skier by the Icelandic formula made by an organic farm just outside of the city. you got to try it out. You can either come there during the week, 8 to 3, or 8.30, 8.30 to 3 it is, yes. 8.30 to 3, sorry. Or you can order on Vault or Bolt. Get it sent to you. Check it out. You will not regret that. Sylvie, welcome to the bunker. Thank you for having me. Yeah, how do you like my bunker? I like it very much. It's very padded and there are a lot of cushions around. And yeah, yeah it's a sort of uh, center of the town bunker. Yes. Uh, elevated. We're not underground. We're sort of above the ground. So it's very original and unusual bunker. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the f- first bunker in the world that's on the top floor. Yeah. Um, when I was preparing for this... Uh, then uh, I was spying on you a little bit on your uh, social media, and I saw that uh, last week you got into a fight in the metro. Yes, I did. I Tell did. me a little bit about this. I had to promise my boyfriend that there was the only fight that day, and the rest of the day I'm not going to fight anybody. So I and I, I followed that. I, I promised and I, and I did that. Well, what happened was I was just minding my own business, walking on the street in the center of Prague, and I saw a really big man. He he was about two meters tall sort of bumping violently into a very tiny woman on the street. And he sort of stumped on her feet and sort of really sort of bumped into her. And she obviously was very, she was scared. She, she just didn't really see the coming because it was from behind. And instead of apologizing, he started to really shout at her, uh, Horrible profanities. That's, that she had been his way. Or yeah, he uh-huh. was, watch where you're going, you, and then I'm not going to repeat what he no, said. You, but you, it's allowed to swear here as much as you want. But okay. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe, another, maybe when I talk about him, I will swear. And he really was shouting at her, and she was very tiny. I mean, I said it in the statement; she was Asian. And some people say, "Why is it important to say she was Asian?" Because I, I just wrote it there because, as we all know, Asian people tend to be smaller than than Europeans. And she was, and women especially, she was very tiny. And she had another woman with her, and also a small child. And all three got really scared. Mm. 
and um, I, I saw this incident and you know the saying when you see something say something and I believe it very much in term of if, if it's somebody hurting someone smaller or weaker or doing something unacceptable in the public space and I really don't like people ignoring such incidents so first thing I did I approached the woman and I apologized to her in English they were foreigners mm. and she was really shocked and I said are you okay and she said yeah, yeah fine and I apologized and then I followed him and I said go back and apologize to this woman because I I, it's, it, I said this is unacceptable how you behaved and you should go back and apologize and he started to shouting at me also very in very nasty, nasty way and he said if you don't stop I will I will punch you he said mm. And I, I don't remember what I said. I said, well, you, you're an idiot. And he actually punched me. He, what he did, he punched me. He sort of oh. punched me in the back and sort of in, a, in, in my arm. And that's where we come to the fight part. I, I didn't, I said, well, this is not acceptable. I'm not going to get punched by this rude man. And I punched him back. I had a, I had a bag <laughs> full of books. <laughs> Fortunately, I had a second volume of uh, War and Peace, which yeah. was, I think, very in style of the situation. <laughs> and then I waited, you know, I put it on weight at home and it's 635 grams. Oh. So, you know, it's more than half a kilogram. And a, another four books and I just punched him with the back and then he sort of started running away. And I wanted to call the police because he actually physically attacked me, but he sort of, uh, you know, started to running and he jumped into a tram and, and, and um, just disappeared. But I followed him and I, and I was very angry <laughs> because... With I War and Peace in your bag. Uh, we, yeah, war and peace in my back. But what I, why, why I was angry was that I see these incidents quite often. I don't know if it's somehow yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm so, somehow where I am. These incidents happen, but I can mention that in last couple of months, I I saw a man really shouting and at two elderly Ukrainian women. Mm that they should learn Czech and they should go back where the hell they came from. Mm. I saw uh, also elderly man in his sort of 60s or early 70s doing sort of vulgar gesture at a girl who could be 20 at maximum. Mm. I saw a man shouting terrible profanities at an elderly lady that was crossing the road I yeah. am so sorry. I yeah. hit exactly what I was told not to hit. Um, she was crossing the road to to get a tram, mm. and she was in in his way. He was in a car, and he sort of rolled the window down and shouted at her. She was mm. in her late seventies. Mm. So I see these incidents. Yeah, quite but this is a, this is every day here. I mean, the the, the yeah. good Samaritan doesn't live in the city in Prague, you know. Yeah, and one except of the you. Um, I'm, there are more there are more people like me. Yeah. I'm not absolutely, but I don't like. What I don't like, apart from people who do this, mm. is also people who ignore when this happens. Mm. I'm not saying you should be some kind of Superman kind of guy or Batman going around town and punishing. With you know, war and peace. Guy. Exactly. You know. Yeah, I'm. I'm like a kind of super, like a lady superhero with the with you know, like a nerdy superhero with books in her back. They could be actually good, you know, yeah, comic book. Good, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll material. I'll do this. But I don't like when this is ignored because I think it. What it means is these people go through life believing that it's okay mm. to behave like yeah. this. And it's okay to kick people and punch people and yell at tiny women. And uh, I, I find it absolutely uh, unacceptable. And uh, that, so that's what I did. I, unfortunately, I didn't call the police. And of course, uh, putting his pictures, however blurred, 
on the social media is, of course, questionable. And I don't only mean by the GDPR standards or uh, some people had a problem with me sort of, uh, you know, being the snitch, you know, going publicly. But I feel like he should be punished in some way mm. for his behavior. Mm. And so I, I choose this way. And of course, I will, if, if police think that I crossed the law and will find me for, you know, publishing his pictures, I'm, I'm fine with it. We'll visit you in jail. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, thank you. <laughs> but anyway, so so yeah, I just found this interesting because uh, I was thinking like uh, because you have kind of been the on the forefront of you know like feminism here for the past few years in in the Czech Republic and and um, and when I saw this I thought okay the guy really picked the wrong person <laughs> to mess with but um, it had a. I had an okay ending, let's say. I mean, it's a yeah. bad in- incident. And unfortunately, I, I can agree with you. I see those incidents as well. Um, but so you're currently a journalist at a magazine called Respect. Yes, I am. Or currently re- Respect. Respect. <laughs> and, uh, and you've been there for... Currently means 16 years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a, quite, but quite it a long time. Yeah, but so... But you're... Where are you from? Where, where, where did it all start? Mm-hmm. This is funny because very often people assume because of my name, especially my surname, that I am a foreigner mm-hmm. because I don't have a typical first name that would be Czech. I have a sort of an international first name. So sometimes people are surprised by my roots. But I am a girl from southern Moravia. I am uh-huh. actually a country girl. I was, uh, you know, uh, which is quite funny that I realized it, um, that I actually was born into a house with uh, no plumbing and no running water in in the late 70s. It was very, you know, it's really, it's really, it's like story from some, like Dickens or something. But uh, yeah, I was uh, was growing up partly in a very tiny village in southern Moravia. Uh, Tiny village means 300 people Uh in this very, very old house, like a farmhouse. And partly in Brno, which is the second largest town in in the Czech Republic. So it was sort of split Mm. uh, growing up. But my roots are in this village. Both of my parents are from this village. So So I am a country girl. Yeah, but just to make it clear, no running water, no heating. This is just the past. There was a heating. Last century. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- there was a heating, but you had to collect the coal, and there uh-huh. was a sort of uh, old-fashioned f- wood, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. So, and he, we had, you know, animals, and we had rabbits and chickens, and on all that. So, I have a very sort of humble, humble roots, uh-huh. so to speak. And how how was it? Are you from a big family, or or? Originally, my family was very small. Mm. Actually, the family unit only consisted of three people, me, uh, my mother, and my grandmother, Mm -hmm. her mother. My mother didn't have any siblings, so they were really... And my grandfather from my mother's side was already dead when I was born. And there was actually a funny story uh, (laughs) that I was born on the same day and same hour six years after my grandfather died. It was actually uh-huh. the same day and month and, and the same hour. And my mother claimed that I look like him and I'm very much a sort of copy of him. So I'm actually my re- reincarnated grandfather. So <laughs> that's, a, that's, a good <laughs> okay. that's a good part of my story. No, but um, so, and then uh, my father married my mother when I was seven. So then he joined us in living in Wisconsin. And my father has a, has a large family, he had a lot of brothers and sisters and they have a lot of children, so a lot of cousins. So From the region there? Or, or yes, they're uh-huh. all from, 
either the village or the villages around. They really mm-hmm. didn't move f- far away from from this village, and very much uh, they just were happy there. They didn't really want to explore the world, and they lived uh, there. Village people. Yeah, I hope it doesn't sound you know condescending. No, but, no, but th- I th- think truly, yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, happy as an, where as they an, are. Yeah, as an Icelander, uh, that that's not a condescending word. I, but I've heard that here that it's not necessarily something that you want to hear. But uh, it could be, and also it sh- you should uh, p- uh, be careful if you're big town sort of intellectual, not to sound like you know you think that all these people are basically like eating grass and mm. I don't know you know so absolutely that's not what I'm saying. They were just people who were happy with their with their lives there, and they didn't really want to change something about their lives. Yeah. And and what about uh, like your childhood? I mean you. Were you playing with other kids or siblings or I mean, what was the kind of what was the young Sylvie? Mm. I was actually I had a I have a half brother, but mm. he's quite older, so I didn't really play with him. And uh, but I, I I did have a lot of friends in the village and some friends in in Brno. And I think what in Later we'll we'll come to talk about that, but I I think what's really interesting about my childhood, and I realize it more and more now, um, when I'm an adult, that I was really a mixture of girly girl and sort of a boyish girl, <laughs> and so I I like to explore sort of both worlds. And I was a typical girl in the sense that I was a little ballet dancer. I loved ballet. I was absolutely obsessed with it. I had all sorts of books and I was training and I was performing in a theater and I had a pink tutu and all that. I loved horses, you know, I loved just dancing. I loved all sorts of girly stuff. But at the same time, I was, uh, I really enjoyed the boyish stuff, especially sort of when you stay in the village. So riding the bike, Climbing the trees, exploring mm. the woods—you know, all all that. Just playing with rocks and like building little, little sort of shacks you can hide in inside from bushes and all that. And I really, really enjoyed that as well. And from early on, I saw that you can be that you don't you don't necessarily have to fit in some narrow boxes of what society tells you a proper girl should do or a proper boy should do. You can do both things and be you know be girl at the same time but at the same time you can be um you can just enjoy the stuff that typically maybe boys enjoy more and uh and also i I think which which was great that when i lived partly in the village and partly in in the big town that i uh enjoyed the part of my uh, childhood growing up just in the village which may be Kids from big towns don't enjoy as much, and this is exactly it: riding the bike and just being free, and yeah. you know, just uh, going and just pick up some cherries, probably still from somewhere, yeah. um, uh, or actually not still from somewhere because it was the '80s; the private uh, ownership didn't exist then, <laughs> so <laughs> probably still from the state, and just uh, you know, being uh, coming home at nine o'clock in the evening, completely just tired from all day running around outside mm. and I think that was absolutely fantastic about my childhood and I have great memories about that and is that like so you're p- kind of both pink and punk I lo- absolutely love that pink and punk and I'm going to use it and I'm going to credit you for uh, coming with oh, it great or uh, did you steal it from someone no I made okay. it up um, <laughs> but uh but how 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 because I guess like at this time as you say I mean this kind of pre 
the, the, during communism still i mean the 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 iron curtain comes down in 89 and um and around that time you're kind of tannish um what about the role of girls then you know like how how was that like could were, were, were parents or families trying to push girls into more let's say more traditional female things like you're saying the ballet etc mm-hmm. etc or was it okay to play with uh, in your family was it fine that you were biking with the boys you know mm. or um maybe it was fine to bike with the boys but at the same time i heard especially from my the larger family i talked about which was the village people but maybe with the very actually conservative view of the world or maybe tradition i don't like traditional because then we have to argue what is tradition which tradition what part of tradition but conservative uh, view mm. of the world and i learned very early on that what is expected from girls is obedience especially mm. i mean of course from boys too to a certain extent but i could see that there was a stronger and bigger tolerance towards boys sort of being boys you know how, how it's how it's the saying being wild and being uh you know doing something wrong and not really care about school and and just you know biking around and and being uh, being cheeky and all that but it was significantly less tolerance if girls girl did it because girls should be a nice girl which sits down and you know focuses on her school and has a nice little dress and is nice to everyone mm. and doesn't really talk back and doesn't really is not really wild and i can see that very early on that this was a um, this was an issue. And then later on, of course, as a child, I mean, <laughs> no wonder I became a journalist because very early on I was very much interested in what the grown-ups are saying. So I sometimes just sit around the grown-up conversations and was just listening to what they were talking about. Of course, I had no idea what it meant, half of the stuff, more even. But very early on I noticed that there is a, you know, that the discussions are about... Um, certain women in the village, for instance, that she's not a proper woman because she doesn't cook uh, a dinner every every day, or that one is not a proper woman because her lunch was late and she didn't have three courses or whatever, or that one or that one. And, and it, it, very harsh, um, very harsh comments about, uh, especially women, but also men, you know, he's not a proper man because he's interested in I don't know what now, you know, something that yeah, was yeah. considered... Sewing or whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. Something that was not considered manly and appropriate mm. for mm. men. And or he, he didn't really even, you know, of course, even the men. But of course, I I focus more on what I experienced as a, as a girl, but also on men. I, oh, he wanted to go to study and be a doctor of philosophy. That's not a proper job. How is he going to provide for his wife and kids? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. He, he doesn't need to have a wife. He could study Kant for 10 more years and maybe then, you know, just let people be who they, whoever they want to be, you know. And, and you didn't feel that that was possible back then? I, I don't really know what my, actually I can't remember. I, I rebelled against it, definitely. I'm not uh, sure old? if, uh, well, uh, seven, eight, uh-huh. nine, ten. I mean, I have a great story, uh, which was actually, which caused, uh, it has nothing to do with feminism, but I think it maybe showed some, some parts of my character early on that um, it was still a communism when I was seven. 
And in the village, there was this uh, like a farm association, which was state owned and it, mm. it incorporated all all the fields, by the way, my, my family's fields, which was stolen from my family by the communists, the field was part of part of its organization, and they provided lunches. And when I was uh, uh, during summer living with my grandmother in the in the farmhouse, I would al always every day I would go to this to this farm organization and collect a lunch for us in these like a boxes and, and go home and we would eat it as a lunch. And I didn't like how the lunches tasted. So one day I decided there was this book, you can actually write your opinions. And I decided to express my opinions and I wrote in there, I don't like your lunches. <laughs> and I and the I had first to Google say, review. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, Yelp or whatever or whatever it's called. Yeah. And I wrote it there and then I signed it. And it was a huge scandal in the village because at the time people didn't criticize state-owned organizations yeah. or, you know, they didn't call the <laughs> restaurants and say, you know, this is horrible what you're, what you're cooking. And they didn't really understand, you know, who did it. And then they thought the, the, the writing style was sort of uh, shaky. So they thought it was some elderly lady mm -hmm. because we all, half of the village had the same surname, of course. So they, there was this investigating and... and when it turned out, seven-year-old girl wrote it. Um, I think my mother was told that he sh she should really uh, take better care of me because I'm too opinionated and it's not appropriate mm. for such a, a young child to be expressing some opinions if something is good or bad. So I was, I was, I think, yeah, I was strong-headed. So I probably, probably didn't. I don't think I believed it's 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 impossible to be different. But maybe I just felt that it, it's going to be that I have to sort of push against it. But then you go, you go to school and, and uh, what did you, did you know that you wanted to be a journalist or, or, or was that like an automated? I didn't, I didn't. Even when I look back, it was so obvious. I mean, I was always interested in what was going on, you know. Even when I was really like a nerd, um, I, for instance, you know, uh, my birthday is tomorrow, <laughs> but I'm not bringing it up just to, you know, talk about my birthday. But I do remember in, eight, I think in 88, when I was 10, uh, Gorbachev and Reagan signed some treaty yeah. about missiles. And I remember watching it uh, on the news and saying, this is actually quite interesting. It's on my birthday, you know, so it's an <laughs> important day. I don't know, it's just silly. But I was really, I was interested in what was going on. I was interested in what's going on. And then later on, I realized that this job combines some passions of mine, and that's reading and writing. Reading, I was just a bookworm from the day I started to read. I was just obsessed with books. But also later on, I realized I am I enjoy writing. Mm. So in like elementary school, you know, all the boys who later became engineers and were building bridges absolutely hated writing essays. You know, they absolutely hated because, yes, of course, they were then later building bridges, but they loved it. Mm. And uh, then another passion of mine was traveling and talking to people and, and seeing seeing what's happening and journalism is many things many things to many people and it has very various forms but ultimately it provides you opportunity to visit some worlds you wouldn't necessarily other people wouldn't necessarily visit and i don't only mean you know meeting so, some celebrity or a politician mm. but you do see behind the scenes and again mm. not only just politics that you go to parliament on a daily basis or you travel with 
the prime minister to America as I did several years ago and you you go to Congress and you see the best of Václav Havel unveiled and it's it's amazing and there's Modlin Albright and it's it's amazing moment but also even things like I don't know. You write about um, some some uh, I don't know piano industry, and you visit Petrov, the 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 factory that creates these amazing pianos, and you just go there and see how people make something, or you talk to interesting people. You visit them in their offices. You visit them in their homes. By the way, you know now because we can't really we couldn't meet in cafes. So a few weeks ago, I wrote this article about our first first lady. And uh, uh, one historian really helped me with with the books, and I, I couldn't visit her in her office because it was closed. So I visited in her home. I saw her amazing bookshelf full of full of amazing books. So mm. you you see the world in its richness and its in its interesting ways. And 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 you and I always was very curious about things, and I wanted to see the world, and the journalism provides it to you. But did you know it back then that I that didn't. would be the journalism? No, I absolutely didn't. I wanted to be a ballet dancer. Uh-huh. I, I I was serious about ballet. But then I <laughs> but then I uh, I tried to apply for the, you know, school for professional ballet dancers. You apply when you're about 12 or uh-huh. 11. And immediately when I came in, I, I knew this was this dream was not going to happen because I was bigger than than the girls there, uh-huh. and you have to be absolutely tiny because you are lifted a lot, and you can't really ask you know a man to lift someone who is you know I'm not going to say yeah. how many kilograms, but um, and I and I had boobs and you know I had I was 12 and I had boobs and my boobs were bigger than the the people in the commission picking the future ballet dancer. So no, that's yeah. that was not. And then I and then I wanted to be an actress, which of again a very short period of time then I wanted to I was interested in art so I thought I would be a curator in a gallery and my dream of course was I was going to be looking at Cezanne's in Paris well obviously that's not going to happen and then all of a sudden I just uh, somehow realized that uh, reading writing exploring the world is journalism Mm -hmm. so I ended up being a journalist and 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 but you you so you you study that at 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 university here in Prague, Prague Charles, Charles University. university. Uh, that's one of the oldest universities in the world, right? It absolutely is, and I studied only for three years there. I always, you know, I recently I wrote about uh, Czech universities, and I spoke f- with people from Oxford and all sorts of places with you know doctors and so on. I say, yeah, but so you you also have university degrees? Yeah, I do. I'm a, I'm a <coughs> bachelor. No, but that's that's a joke, you know. Yeah, I don't yeah. really have, and I don't, I don't even believe in th- that you need a formal education as a journalist. Oh. I mean, you learn something absolutely. You meet interesting people, you try it out, but you either have what it takes, and that's quite a lot, or you don't, and no school changes that. You just, mm. and then I, I always say that my university is respect because there are amazing editors who are so tough on you that you some, you want to quit so many times because it's just, you write the article three times. But do you like times. that? You like this? You like to fight? <laughs> you like you like to fight? Well, right? I, uh, I sort of like it and don't like it at the same time. But I do like the fact that uh, it uh, makes me a better, you know, creates a better work. At the mm. end, of course, you hate the person. It's like, mm. wait, 
you know, it's your child. You work on the article. It's like your ch- somebody will tell you your child is ugly and it's not perfect. You know, it's like, okay, so it, there's, there's the problem and you go back and you make it better and you know it's going to be better. So you mm-hmm. just sort of, you have to swallow your pride, which by the way, all journalists should learn how to do because journalism is a lot about egos and I'm not absolutely no exception. Of course, it's, it's, uh, you know, nice to see your name there or being, you know, awarded and so on. But um, you should be humble and you should take advice. So absolutely, I'm saying that my real education is respect. But do you, you during this time, like, so, 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 I mean, you move alone to Prague. So you stand, you're on your own feet, basically. Yeah. As, as of... 19... Uh-huh. 1920. And so I guess you had some jobs. I did. Long and uh, <laughs> yes. like uh, any 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 yeah. particular shitty ones or. I absolutely. I just yeah. Uh, so many, so many other jobs. Um, I worked in a pasta factory, which mm-hmm. I was basically standing 12 hours, overlooking this sort of shaky shaky kind of like a river of pasta and I was the person you know making sure that the spaghetti went left and the other kind went right and if it didn't I had to pick up the, the thing and throw it on the on the other side and it was in horrible sort of dust and and um and uh, horrible noise. Another time, I had a I had a job when I was uh, creating these. You know how you when at the hairdresser you I have the color on the hair and mm. you have these sort of you look how how it looks. Mm. So what we were doing, we were gluing these pieces of hair with the color into these sort of like a paper Booklets, books. Yeah. And we were high at the end of the there from was the glue. Yeah, there could be a benefit. <laughs> this job we were kind of high from the glue and i don't know what's what's wrong with me but glue seemed to be a sort of a a repeating topic that uh my one of my favorite odd jobs was uh that i was a walking glue tube (laughs) it was like a a giant (laughs) tube of glue and it was actually this wasn't in prague it was still in brno when i was at uh, high school and there were these sort of like affairs. I mean, it's now almost dead. You know, it doesn't happen anymore. But this was this, it, always several days. It was a certain industry. And uh, there was this glue company which wanted to promote their product. So the typical way you do, you hire a bunch of 17-year-old girls. You dress them as a glue. And you just send them to walk around this this space. And it was so much fun because, of mm. course, everybody loved it. Yeah. People took pictures with us. So also the, the company was happy because we were all over all the over place. All over the news, yeah. yeah. And they were t- giving us food. And, you know, it was a fantastic job. So there was that was fun. But then I was an English teacher. I worked at the supermarket. I was, uh, yeah, all sorts of stuff. But what's funny is that I realized the generational gap between me and maybe my younger colleagues now in respect who are sort of late 20s, early 30s, how they all know how to make amazing coffee. They really understand coffee. And I'm thinking, why is that? What's the difference? And the difference was when I was in that age, I didn't really have, we didn't really have these jobs in, you know, Starbucks or I probably shouldn't name any, any concrete companies, but... Uh, we didn't really do this. We just we just did, did these shitty jobs in supermarkets and pasta factories and being a tube of glue. But but I think it's it's good to have these jobs. I think all all people, even if you're ultimately you become a lawyer or mm. someone you know with this kind of job, you should you should see what it is to have this job which doesn't really pay well, 
which is not fulfilling intellectually whatsoever. Of course, some people don't need it. Some people prefer when it's, or I'm not sure if they prefer it, but uh, I'm not saying that every everyone has the same preference in, in what the job should, should be. But yeah, you should just try all sorts of things to maybe appreciate uh, your job than you ultimately end Get, up in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can be a good motivator that you you yeah. you know, you you try something out and you find out that this is not what I want to do and then yeah, it kind of pushes you maybe to you know, educate or, yeah. or or seek something better. And talking about jobs, just uh, it's a, one of the sponsors of the show is is called alfred.cset where people can actually find new jobs. Oh so right. if anyone is Great. listening that has a shitty job or <laughs> wants to change jobs, they can do it there. Yeah. Well, uh, when people stop reading newspaper, I will definitely give you a call, and I'm afraid that could, yeah. that could happen sometime in the future if if people stop reading us. But I hope it no. But no, they will they listen won't. to podcast. You will just have your okay. own podcast. I will have a podcast. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, you kind of pretty young when you you get into kind of serious journalism, and you you're writing primarily uh, when you get to respect you you're writing primarily about politics, mm-hmm. right? Um, and one thing that I've always been curious about since, I mean, I've lived here in, in the Czech Republic in Prague for 11 years, and uh, one of the first things I heard when I came here was about some of the corruption that goes on here, both in, like, bigger scale and also in, in some of the smaller scale when it comes to, like, permissions and public offices and stuff like this. And I was always so curious and always wanted to find someone to ask about this. How can this survive in a communica- community that is not bigger than, than what we have. We're, we're talking about a nation of 11.5 million people or, or, or roughly around that. And uh, everybody knows that it's there. Is it accepted? Or, or you know, what's mm. the, wh- wh- how mm. can corruption, po- political corruption exist here? Mm. So it's a very wide question and I'm thinking where should I, where should I start? But maybe I'll start with a, sort of a positive note that what we see lately are a lot of cases of corruption uncovered, actually. So firstly, I would start with, uh, let's not forget that uh, there was a, there is a, a former Minister of Health actually sitting in jail at the moment mm. in one of the biggest corruption cases in the latest year, and which was uncovered by the police, and it was a very wide web of politicians and, and their friends, you know, sucking the state dry. Uh, at the same time, uh, actually, there is, a, there is another huge case in Brno, where I come from, where there was an, another high-ranking politician involved, and again, it's, it's an organized group, uh, and it was going on on some time. Then we have many cases regarding the EU funds, Mm. Which of course they're like you know they're like the golden what's the saying in in English it's like the thing that you you have in front of you and of course it's it's a it's a target for people who want easy money to mm. basically steal I mean I always say well, it's stealing if you don't use public money for its purpose or you you sort of you cheat then you you're stealing our money because we are the providers of the money or you cheat you you steal money of other EU citizens, if you if you if it's about EU funds, so that's on the on the lighter note or the, or the more positive note. So there are some cases uncovered. Mm. There were some more uh, focus on it uh, from the police, from the 
prosecutors and also general public. And also another interesting thing I would point out is how much energy was also put into the conflict of interest of the prime minister. So for instance, the Transparency International Organization was the one uh, taking all sorts of steps, pointing to uh, the conflict of interest he's in, which again, ultimately it, it means that you are influencing, it's not corruption per se but like in in a, in a classical definition but in you you can influence public money to make your own company's profit and mm-hmm. that's just ultimately wrong so we why, see why? a lot of but but to answer your question yeah. i you know i don't want to be the one to blame everything on communism of course not but there is a certain there was the what we saw in especially in the later years mm. was a very widely accepted notion that it, and it's it's a saying it's it's a popular saying who doesn't steal steals from his family mm-hmm. in other words if you don't steal from the state and again as as i said there was no private ownership so everything was owned by the state therefore by no one people didn't understand that it was all ours uh, if you don't steal, you steal from your family. <laughs> so people, it was so massive. Mm. People were actually stealing. You know, I had this, I have, um, <laughs> one of my friends had, I mean, it's funny, but at the same time, it's horrible. One of my friends had the, had the story that when her f- father was working in this factory in some company in the 80s, he actually stole a chainsaw from the company. And the method there especially in this company and, and, and the factory was uh, in the town, was that people would go to this fence, which was around the factory, and sort of throw it against, and then later after the work, they collect it from the... the, the outside the, of the... Yeah. Outside of the, of the, of uh, of the venue. Yeah. And the story with the chainsaw was he throw it, the chainsaw and then he tried to collect it, couldn't find it. And the problem was the chainsaw was sort of stuck in the tree, so he had to climb up of the tree to collect this chainsaw that didn't belong to him he Mm -hmm. stole it from the company he worked for so he could use it at home and i think this is deeply rooted and again of course it it doesn't explain everything it's 30 years since the end of the communism and definitely part of it was uh that uh, police didn't act uh the prosecutors didn't act then it was a huge there was a huge topic of police and prosecutors being you know, directly influenced by politicians. So mm. their inaction wasn't a coincidence. It was a direct consequence of ties. And, and there were then, then there were some cases where politicians were trying to influence the investigation on and the prosecution. So it's sort of like a very... So it's intertwined. It's cultural thing from, from the past, then problems with the weak state that doesn't mm-hmm. function the way it, it, it should be. Uh, political parties not punishing enough some politicians that at uh, that change also you know now now it's now the people flies out of the party immediately uh-huh. i mean you do see the changes in the culture you okay. know the ones only that there is just um suspicion then that there is some action and also there was this uh several elections where uh, i mean we even wrote it wrote it in in respect where 
people who were actually mostly in link with some very you know dodgy cases and and there was some suspicion of corruption or other other things were not elected to parliament or to regional governments that actually you know people have spoken yeah. people directly because you have this system when you can sort of change the list of people who are elected and through the system many many politicians were changes so i do see it uh, and and uh, one last thing what we see in Slovakia mm. uh, these days, a huge scandal where they realized that the former a police chief was in contact with some criminals, judges and all that. And we discussed it actually today in, in the office or on our Google Meet uh, meeting. If uh, Is it in Czech Republic because we don't... Is it as bad as in Slovakia and we don't know it? Or is it better than there? Mm. And it, we don't know it because it doesn't happen. Mm. And I, I tend to uh, go with the, the latter one, that it's not as bad in Slovakia, that we did some, that there are some good police work and some brave, by the way, female prosecutors who are really tough and, and are focused on, on these cases. So I think it's changing to, mm. you know, be, be better. But... The, the, but uh, um and it kind of, kind of, I mean, I wanted to put the main focus of this into into the feminism that we're going to come to later because you kind of transitioned there. But, but I'm just curious about, uh, as what I was um, surprised also when I when I started living here was that uh, kind of the inactivity of the public in politics in a way that. Uh, People would say openly, oh, "I don't want to go even and vote because it doesn't really make any difference." Is that is that the same now? I mean, mm. uh, or it has it changed? Or do you see more activity mm -hmm. with younger people? Or yeah, absolutely. Actually, one one last thing I wanted to say regarding corruption that, and that's directly linked to the uh, uh, inactivity is that sometimes it's difficult to find a whistleblower uh, who would you know actually point out these these things and. I think it's significant that we don't even have a Czech uh, Czech name for this. We we just use the word whistleblower, the English uh -huh. word, because we don't have a you know we don't have a, and it has this kind of um, like a negative connotation that you you snitch to the mm. police about mm. your colleagues in some firm and so on. But at the same time, when we look at these important cases I mentioned, for instance, the former um, health minister David Rath. There was some brave people who actually reported what was happening, and mm. then there were important witnesses. So that also had some uh, some brave people there. But you, yeah, I would absolutely agree with the fact that it's changing with young people, mm. that they're getting more and more involved, and that civic society is driven mainly by them. Because when you look at uh, when you look at some projects, you really can admire people, you know, educated kids about various things, helping senior citizens, um, and even, you know, organizing protests against the government. If mm. you, let's let's remind us that the biggest protest since 89 were organized by a guy who was 23 at the time, 24. Mm. And um, so absolutely. And, and you, you know, of course, there are always these complaints that, oh, the young ones don't care about, they just care about Facebook or whatever. And I always say to people who say, oh, and what what did you do when you were twenty, mm -hmm. in the eighties or in the nineties or even in the in the you know in the noughties? Like what did you do to be active? You know, wh were you in you know? And very often they say, uh, we couldn't. I said, well, you you could, but you just didn't. So you know, stop complaining about young people. And so yeah, so yeah, and it's not only about politics, but it's also about. You know, there was this. Uh, maybe you should also interview her. She's she's also great when you talk about feminism. 
just to mention one girl, uh, Johanna Nejedlova, she's called Johanna Nejedlova, she founded this organization called Consent, and mm. she just received some award from this American bitch magazine, <laughs> which is a great name, she's the bitch of the year, one of the bitches of the year she is. And what they do, for instance, now they educate the general public about sexual assault, what consent is, and so on, and they do important stuff now. Mm. They they have the series of workshops, and they educate kids about you know sex, and and it's so important because the state doesn't care about that and we don't really know how much it's actually covered in schools and and if it is it's only about hiv and you know scaring kids and they do it so greatly i saw several of their workshops and she is 29 you mm-hmm. know and she she just receives these awards wherever she goes because she's really visible and uh, successful in this that's just one example there's so, so many yeah. more so many more people doing amazing jobs so but it's it's uh, like it's interesting because this is kind of the feeling that I have here that there are kind of two nations living here. There are dinosaurs like us <laughs> that still have managed. I, I, am I also a dinosaur? We are born <laughs> at a time where yeah. things were different. Let's say. Yeah, and we're the uh, analog kids. Yeah. that's that's and the uh, that's the gap. But we have somehow managed. I I want to believe. Um, just to clap myself a little bit on the back. That I I want to believe that we have kind of managed to leave at least one foot with the, the younger people yeah. and, and kind of being able to relate somehow to what they do or at least not categorically deny it as bullshit. And then you have the older people that have kind of, let's say, half or even 70% of their education and upbringing under communism and they have the, a different mindset. So I see this, what you're saying, and it's interesting. And, and yeah, it's actually interesting how you have managed to kind of, you play both, <laughs> you know, you, you, you can, you know both sides of the, of the table. But... Um, as a as a political journalist, I mean, I guess you you interviewed a lot of interesting people, and I know that you interviewed the the Wachlak Havel, who was the first president after the fall of the communism. Yes, and that guy is like he is kind of the guy mm-hmm. here. I mean, there are people probably with a, a tattoo of his face on them and stuff like that. That's an interesting. I'm not sure if there is a someone with a tattoo of his face, but they would be interesting to find out. But maybe there is. At least one person, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he he's he's like an icon here. Absolutely. And you you interviewed him. Yeah. Um, when was that, and how how was that? Uh, it was. It's a long time ago, actually. I mean, he he's now also dead for for several years, but I think it was two thousand and five or six. Um, oh my God, I don't remember when I interviewed Václav a mistake but <laughs> <laughs> no it was a it, yeah it was a highlight of my career absolutely one of the highlights I mean I think I interviewed many many great people but he was uh, really important and again as I get older and hopefully more educated and I and I understand more some things which are important in the society I understand more and more how crucial he was in the transition and i just give you one example of that it's not really you know discussed so much but uh basically in the early 90s there was this great clash between havel and klaus Václav klaus who later replaced him as a president about what is the most important element in the transition transition from communism to free society klaus said it was the economy he said first economy first we have to recover from from that and then we can build up the civic society and Havel said no you cannot have you you cannot have first economy you first have to sort of put these bricks of 
uh, stable civic society um, in place, and then you can start reforming, you know, the companies or, or whatever. Or at the same time, at the same time, do it do it as a, at the same time. Mm. And he was very uh, obsessed with the idea of constitutional court and how it should look. And, you know, people say, oh, it's, why is it a, some constitutional court? Why is it important? And some bunch of old guys, you know, sitting somewhere, deciding whatever. It, nobody, I mean, not nobody think it was important. Of course, many people thought it was important. But I didn't understand for, for, for many years mm. why it was important that he actually, you know, kept uh, focus on building a strong, independent constitutional court. And now I see it. Now I see how the court, uh, it, it's similar in as in United States, of course. I mean, it's not not the same, but the court, very it is, it is a sort of a, um, like an insurance of... Uh, it's an emergency break. Yeah, like an emergency no break, no. you know. Uh, bad law, uh, some weird changes of voting system, which happened in the early, um, late 90s. Constitu constitutional court stopped it. Mm. Also, in many cases of the cultural sort of norms and so on, they, they, they paved the way towards, let's say, you know, more civilized uh, sort of countries. And, and Havel un absolutely perfectly understood that. The same goes for our membership in North Atlantic Alliance and European Union, that his sort of um, uh, reputation he had worldwide and some connections and so on, and also in the case of NATO, Madeleine Albright, who's of Czech origin, helped to somehow negotiate it as um, as joining these these organizations, but again, um, you know, people didn't really understand how important it was to put us sort of safely in some organizations that would protect us. And they, maybe he saw that uh, the end of communism—it's not the end of the history. No, no. It's not especially the end. it was not a bloody revolution. Then nobody Absolute, was killed. The yeah. people were all still. Yeah, somewhere so there and by the way and they're now coming back and they're very mm. happy to tell you that you know you had your time and then <laughs> it's our time again you know very 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 many of them and 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 part of the discussion is that um that the the havel's uh name is being you know just dipped into mud and and mm. he and he was the worst president and all that and it's part of the sort of the, the changing uh, the, the changing atmosphere in the society. But uh, as I said, I, I even, as I get older, as I more understand certain things that I appreciate him more for what he, what he foreseen and what, uh, what he stand for. And what just one last thing I want to say about him is that with him, that sometimes lately, you know, especially with Trump and all the populists and so on, it feels like being decent and being nice to people and saying things like, you know, you shouldn't lie and you should uh, fulfill your promises. And you, it's laughed at. It's, it's laughable. You know, it's weak people. Weak people are nice. Being nice is not, you know, you, you, yeah. And all these sort of um, values um, quite often are, are laughed at. And when you read Havel, you just, you see that it's, it, he was right. It's not laughable. It's it's what you you feel like it's important. You, it's what you stand for, and that's what he said. He said, "Being decent to people is not weakness." And oh, there are so many quotes I can, I can use, but one of them uh, I, I love especially, and I will just uh, mention this one. 
and I'm sure I will misquote him, but um, he said something like hope mm. is when you're uh, when you do something regardless if it will succeed or not. And yeah. you just do it because you think it's important. You don't do it because it will gain you something. It will gain you money or fame or whatever, success, uh, professional success. But you do it for the thing itself. And you do it because you think it's important. And again, you can you can laugh at it or you can just say, well, it was it was a dreamer. But at the same time, if you stand by these principles, then you, it ultimately makes you, um, yeah, a decent human. I think, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I think I think that in some way, um, uh, the, these uh, words like populism and 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 so on, they they are in some way just a result of of what society has become because we we want. We we are we are very egoistic right now. We want the instant results of everything we do. Everything happens very fast. Everything is available. Everyone should be and, and there is a sense of entitlement. And mm. now we're talking about you know Europe and and, uh, and America. And um, I th I think in some way that uh, I th maybe that has contributed to to the fact that people are now saying that oh he was just a dreamer or or, or something because right now. People don't want hope; they want the results. Mm. Um, and we we are always expecting, you know, yeah, we can get our food at the door in 20 minutes. And if it's 25 minutes, I'm pissed off. Mm -hmm. And uh, <coughs> back when he was around, you know, and, and kind of preaching his messages, then it was a different society. So I, I and I don't know. I mean, I've thought a lot about this populism mm. because um, what should a politician do other than satisfy the public? Mm. That's that, that that these are his bosses, but at the same time they should not only satisfy the public; they should have a greater picture in in mind, and they should be responsible for other things, just uh, you know, answering to immediate needs of the people. But I just uh, just very shortly with Havel, I think he would be, I think he would be happy with uh, the young people we talked about just a few minutes ago which are doing exactly that they're doing it because it's important for them they're not gaining any you know money definitely no money mm. um they are doing it in their free time there are all sorts of projects which are focused on uh, social work and helping disadvantaged kids and elderly and all that so yeah i, I think we do see as, as you mentioned we see two societies or even you know it's more maybe layers yeah but uh, in a way that it, it was fulfilled certain vision he had about the society. In part of the society, definitely it was fulfilled. Mm. So, yeah. So, <coughs> then, but then, you know, I mean, we, I, I know we could sit here and talk about your political writing and, and all this hmm. stuff for ages. Um, I just kind of wanted to yeah, bring, bring out some of the highlights. But uh, the, you transition over to feminism. Was that like a, a conscious um, move or, or hmm. was it, a, I don't know, was it a coincidence? or? Well, I sort of transitioned and didn't transition. I would say that maybe I sort of widened my interests because I did start writing about mainly about politics 
and then I, um, as I, when I talked about exploring the world, I, you know, as you, you as a journalist look into a different, different kind of uh, things, I also started to write about something else, some some other stuff that's happening in the society. I started to be interested in these sort of soft stories, you know, not only the hard news. And, you know, slowly I realized I'm passionately uh, in, interested in these stories. We can... We can uh, categorize as uh, feministic um, but that, I, d I didn't start as saying like now I'm a feminist and I'm going to write about this and this and this I just sort of started covering these topics and this led to you know because you write about uh, infertility and then you write about people who don't have kids and then you write about people who have seven kids and then you write about people who have kids later in life and you know it sort of snowballs and mm -hmm. it goes from one to another I'm not saying that all of a sudden I wake up one day and, and then I realized I'm uh, I'm right I'm covering you know basic feministic topics but it's sort of um it was a, a slow tr sort of movement. It wasn't like one day I decided certain mm. things. And maybe also it was just influenced by the fact that I did write about domestic politics. And there are some topics discussed in, in the parliament. You know, there was uh, there were huge discussion in the late 90s, early uh, noughties about domestic violence, for instance. So I covered that. Then there was a huge discussion about stalking uh, being... Um, uh, a crime. There was a huge fight. Then it, there was a great discussion about maternity leave, paternity leave, possible. You know all that, and you just simply, if you just simply follow domestic politics, you see these topics. And I suddenly realized I'm really interested in these topics. Mm. So I uh, focused on them more and more, and ov slowly over time, I, I started to really focus on them. But also, I still write about all sorts of other things. You mm. know, I don't only focus on this. I write about history, also still about politics. And various other other topics. But you have some somehow still like uh, I mean, as far as I can see, um, you're kind of the poster girl for feminism here right now. Am I? Yeah, I <laughs> mean, yeah, I, probably. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I there think are if several people, many people. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but I, but, but everybody that I spoke to and said, oh, I'm going to meet with Sylvie, and oh yeah, the feminist, the feminist. So they knew okay. that. So um, I am the feminist now. Yeah, it's, I can't. I can't can't change it now. For the purpose of this <laughs> podcast, you're, yes, you're, yes. you're feminist. But uh, okay. um, how how is where is feminism at here? If you kind of compare it to the neighboring countries, or or let's say Northern Europe, or or, or whatever are the kind of the role models? Hmm. Where well, do we stand here? Yeah, that's a very very complex question. So uh, the one point really definitely is that's necessary to say is it's extremely unpopular. It's very unpopular, and by uh, whom? Uh, a lot of people, lot mm -hmm. of people, but also by uh, the agenda setters and the role models. And I can give you a concrete example. There is this media archive we use as a journalist, and you can search in media articles and interviews and all, all sorts. And I recently did. Uh, I recently tried to search for a phrase. I'm not a feminist, but you know, specifically this phrase. It turned out hundreds of thousands of uh, results. Mm. So many people, actresses, uh, you know, even scientists and um, politicians, all, all, sorts of, all sorts of women especially, when they say, I'm not a feminist, but... And then they come up with, you know, various 
claims and opinions and views that are absolutely feministic. Mm. But they feel the need to distance themselves from the world because they know uh, people will just not react well to it. They will think that they're uh, all sorts of things, you know, ugly, man-hating, hairy, aggressive, <laughs> everything, you know. Um, and it's it's actually true. I mean, it sounds like a joke, but I've heard it so many times that if I would receive like a one crown every time I hear a cliche about feminists, I would, mm. I mean, I wouldn't be a millionaire, but I would be able to buy myself a nice pair of shoes or a nice coat for mm-hmm. winter. So the general, and it's not only, you know, as I said, the agenda setters. I think this is really important because of course, in many countries, I'm sure in Iceland, there are some people who say that feminists are, you know, crazy yeah, yeah. women and yeah. or in Sweden, or in yeah. all these countries, you know. But at the same time, you have either the whole political scene or important part of the political scene and maybe some artists or some, you know, visible people openly saying they support certain feminism, feministic views and that they think it's an important, however flawed, view of certain topics and that there are some questions that need, still need to be discussed. I mean, my favorite, my favorite picture is Barack Obama in a, in a T-shirt saying, I'm a feminist. Mm. I mean, so this guy, this guy who, he said it when he was a president, he said he was a, he was a feminist and then he explained why. And in the Czech Republic, unfortunately, the problem is that uh, you don't have many politicians who would say this, uh, actually the opposite. So the worst cliches about feminism are supported by the prime minister, the president, the important politicians, um, filmmakers, singers, you know, people Mm. who are visible, who maybe shape the popular opinions. opinions. Mm. And they're very, very vocal, vocal about that. And so I think this is important. And now, of course, we can discuss why is that. I mean, of course, the, some of the reasons are common with every the, the other countries. But I think what's specific about Czech Republic is that many people believe that communists were actually feminists. Many people think that what communists try to do when liber- sort of, quote-unquote, liberated women, which communists claim they liberated women was feminism and therefore if you're a feminist you're a communist mm-hmm. i mean i've heard it so many times i'm a feminist simply you're, you're like those communists you want to force people into something that is unnatural and that is simply not true because communists did introduce their form of something they called liberating the women but they, in absolutely no sense of the world, liberated the women. What they did was, simply put, I, I don't want to speak for 10 minutes about all sorts of history. The, the thing is, they did some changes. They, for, for instance, they reformed the family law, which they reformed in 1949, and they reformed a law which was from 1811. So in 1949, this country still had a law from 1811, which said various things that a man is the head of the family and only he decides what happens to the children, Mm. where does the family live, if the woman works or doesn't work, uh, all sorts of things. And uh, it was very much uh, sort of like a guidance to the family life, which was set in law. And communists changed this and they, Mm. they sort of really, really, you know, 
changes a lot. So, for instance, they did this, or their uh, abortion politics, or so they were, yeah, and women worked a lot, you know, really, really started to work. But if you really look into it in detail, it wasn't about personal choices, it wasn't about liberation, it wasn't about women. One theory says that it was important for communists that women work because they were simply missing three million Germans that mm. were lifted away, shifted away from the country. Mm. So you simply needed the, the workforce. Mm. So you said, oh, everyone is equal, women should, should work, and it was mandatory to work. But they didn't, they didn't do anything about who's looking after the home or who's looking after the children or if the women are paid well or if they're harassed and uh, they, they didn't care about domestic violence, they didn't care about sexual violence, they didn't care about if uh, women had the burden on themselves, which they did. So... In the Czech popular culture, we say, or with the you know, the, uh, generally people say that during communism, women had three or f- uh, two of three jobs, mm. so they had to work, but at the same time, it was hundred percent on them, uh, childcare and domestic chores, and so, and o- combination of all these things, so people, women, people saw. People accepted that this is the liberation of women that also feminism provides, and they say we they don't want it. So, so the problem is that there's some um, his, historical uh, views which are not correct and very mm. very you know that confused. There are some misconceptions about what feminism actually is. You know, very often when people say, "Oh, I I I absolutely don't agree with feminism," and I always say, "Which one?" Mm. Which one do you don't agree mm. with? And they look at you and say, "What do you mean?" I say, "Which which feminism?" And they don't, you know, they don't. They're not even aware. They're sev- they're. They, it's not like a monolith. It's not a group of people uh. that absolutely agrees with each other. But that, what I think is also another another um, thing where we mention about the Czech uh, society is also if you look into history, all these um, all the laws which would which we could say there were some some kind of feminism steps, you know, including right to vote and uh, all sorts of things, were never product of people fighting from it from below up. Mm. It was always some up kind down. of visionary up, up, down. Yeah. So, for instance, in Iceland... That, mm. I'm so sorry, I keep hitting it. I have to put my hands down. So, for instance, in Iceland, uh, that strike, that famous uh, mm. strike of women, mm. that would never happen here because women would be too embarrassed or too they would be they would think that men would just think that they're crazy f- for mm. doing it, and they would never do that, never did it. And all these changes were actually product of some politicians uh, or some visionaries who thought it was not a movement of the people that created no. it. But 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 just the. Because uh, it's it's um, you basically what you're saying is that people are are they kind of associate feminism with communism and therefore by default you should deny it because you know communism is uh, has a bad name here yeah. for obvious reasons uh, and also people uh, lived through those times as women and men mm. and their experiences from w- how it worked then they were unhappy so mm-hmm. they associate 
those times with, okay, this is how, when feminists are actually ruling, this is what it would look like. And we were unhappy, or my father and mother were unhappy, some people say, or my grandmother was unhappy, so I don't want this. I don't Mm. want to live like this. Mm. So I think it it works like, oh, it goes like this. And But these, um, but what are kind of like, Okay, so what what are the main topics here? Is it like uh, equal pay or is it... Uh, I mean, I know, for example, one thing that I found very interesting here, and I kind of... I remember this. I had this uh, company here when I came, and, and uh, our finance director was a very talented woman, um, and uh, she had studied for five years some finance, and she was very, very... Yeah, very good. And she came one... one into my office said okay I'm gonna go on maternity leave and I was like okay so I'll see you next year see you year. next year yeah, yeah. oh and no, no. she said no see you in six years yeah uh, I actually said kids. three yes yeah, she said see you in three years but I'll probably have another kid so I might see you in six or seven years and I was like yeah mm, okay and I, I in my um, naiveness I asked her so why did you go to school uh, and because she explained me that okay I need to stay at home because there is no system for my kids to go into we, I can't even put them to kindergarten unless I pay an arm and a leg for it etc etc and, I, and I, then I realized okay wow this really disturbs the balance here because it empowers the men at the cost of the women because you kind of th- and then the, the, yeah, the maternity leave pay here is really shitty I mean it's not even you can't even buy a beer for it so then I thought, oh, there's uh, this is very skewed. Are there many examples of this in 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 the system here or in the society where you can say that women are at at the wrong end of the stick? I think you you absolutely perfectly took out the one important topic that influenced everything from pay gap to poverty of women to even violence in some mm-hmm. cases because the balance dependency, of powers yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. the dependency that the men when the men not of course not all men but in some pathological relationships when the man knows that she the, the wife is completely dependent on him he expects her to be completely obedient because he is the provider and if she's not he's unhappy and therefore can you know do certain things mm. again in the pathological relationship so this influences everything and it even influences i mean this by, uh, by this i mean the idea who cares uh, for the children and for how long and how it looks like. I think mm. this influences everything. Mm. And it influences even young girls before they have kids. So I recently interviewed um, a lawyer who came up with this idea uh, after she talked to her friend who is a young doctor, female doctor. And she just said, oh, I can't, I hate it in the hospital because they just asked me, oh, are you knocked up yet? Where are you going to be knocked up? And she's 27, this, mm. this female doctor. And it was a fun, fun and humor, but she realized that maybe they're not sending her to this special education program overseas and they're maybe not offering her certain mm-hmm. positions mm-hmm. because they expect her to leave and have kids. Mm. And this lawyer, the friend of this doctor, uh, conducted a, a survey among young medical students and doctors. And the results were shocking. The results were shocking. I mean, it's not sociological study, so we can't really say it's a, like a Peer scientific proof yeah, yeah. and yeah. so on. But as a sort of um, 
information about how it really what's going on in the country it is i think it provides us with a great uh, view mm. of the reality and the reality is that medical female medical students y- hear from year one they should not really plan for a big career not in surgery or not to be uh, you know bosses of hospitals because they will leave and have kids so they should just give up immediately they tell them in the first year on the very beginning of their careers then they have less mentorship from all their colleagues because again they don't think their their perspective is very very good because they will leave when they apply for jobs there were several many many examples actually when either they hear it from other people or they hear it directly from the people who interviewed them when the people said well you're a perfect candidate you're amazing you speak all these languages and all that but i will not give you the job why not because you're a woman Mm-hmm. and it happened so much and then also later in their careers when they go to the hospitals again it's mentorship it's sending the the you know helping them they even there were several stories of women i mean especially in surgery because so many doctors consider this very masculine kind of thing or uh, you know the surgeons but that's what we see in the movies so you see in the you know the tough yeah, yeah but if you if you look at, at the gray's anatomy for instance you know i only watched the first season then i thought it was a bit crap but in the first season you see you see many women op- operating on mm. patients and so on so it depends on who you look at but um, for instance so some of the doctors even describe when they come into the the operating theater uh, the doctors say oh the chickens are here you know the chickens with the being the how, how you talk about mm. women mm. is oh you don't you don't even listen you don't need this so they, they actually act- actively discourage them from learning and from building their careers because they will leave one day for maternity leave and what's fascinating is they don't even care if the person actually wants to leave you know it's not like they would they would ask someone so when do you plan kids which by the way they ask a lot and it's illegal you can't really ask this but i can imagine that you would maybe react if somebody says yes in a few years i want to have five kids and i will leave definitely but what if there is a person who doesn't want to have kids or has i don't know problems with infertility doesn't even want to get married there's so many so many other things and the second part is that you even with kids can have a mm. can have a career and yeah. should have a career yeah. as we can see in many many other countries so uh the fact that Czech society expects women to leave for three or more years to go and look after the kids and then even when the kids are older the woman is the primary caretaker, caretaker yeah. influences so many things mm. from the g- pen, pe- gender pay gap to by the way the fact that there are so little women in the public sphere commenting things there yeah and they're almost uh, and in politics and public yeah. office it's less than so many and, you know. so, yeah there's uh, so little women in if you, if you turn on the tv who's commenting the american election or who's commenting i mean even football i remember by the way from iceland that i was so psyched by the fact that i turned on tv and there was a, a panel of people discussing football and mm. it was one guy and two women i couldn't mm. you know why not there are women who are interested in football but here it it it's connected to the caretaking in the way that very often women just simply don't have time and energy mm. 
to go to these panels, to go to conferences, to be really on top of their game because they actually have to look after the children. And exactly as you said, even if they don't want to be at home for three years, they have to because they can't find a place in preschool and their employers are, they just don't want to, they want to, they, they don't care about uh, their being mothers. I mean, I, I re- recently interviewed a woman who was uh, quite ranking um <laughs> In one of the ministries, I can't really, mm. you know, say who it was, but he was, she was very, she was very important uh, member of uh, of the team there, and she was highly valued, and uh, you know, won many cases for the state and and all that, and she just uh, she described how the fact that she had a baby uh, felt she felt like they completely lost interest in her as a as an employee. Mm-hmm. Even though before that she was very successful, she worked perfectly. They just they just uh, thought that she was gone. Instead of trying to work out how they can, you know, help her in combining the family and, and the work, which is doable. You can have uh, you can have a little like a preschool in in the office. You can you can work from home sometimes. And I mean, there are so many ways how to how to do this, mm. but. Uh, People here, the employers, I mean, it's also changing a little bit, but they're not interested. And also there's a very strong peer pressure and very strong family pressure. Mm. So you hear from many women and men, also, especially women, when they decide to go back after one year, yeah. their mothers tell them, Are that's you something goes? wrong with them. That's something yeah. wrong with them. It's shamed. It's shamed. Mm. You know, you're leaving your child so early. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that, um, you know, you should give birth and go immediately back to work. Even though I have friends who were working day after childbirth. They had a baby. Of course, it weren't, you know, people from like working professions mm. or so lawyers and journalists. But I, my friend had a, had a, she gave birth and she had a, a baby happy sleeping next to her on, on the bed and she just took out laptop and, mm. and wrote a contract mm. for someone. Yeah, she, my, she, my know, lawyer my lawyer has yeah. three kids under under eight and she runs a law firm in Bruno and, yeah. and she I, I, I never had any problem working with yeah. her. I knew that she was working from home sometimes and, and uh, but Yeah and some uh, there's the last thing and some HR managers even the the wise ones they tell you that mothers with small kids are uh, in a way dream employers because they're very efficient. Their time management is impeccable because they learn how to combine so many things and be on time and and use the the space you have between, you know, the kids sleep and whatever, nap, mm. napping uh, or uh, evening bathing or whatever to, to work very efficiently. And they are good at multitasking, and very often they are—they are so happy that someone will employ them that they're so loyal. So in a way, you know, they're great employees yeah. for for these skills they actually develop. But somehow, some employers just don't see it, and it's a problem for them. Mm. I think I I I, I can. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hired once an eight-month pregnant woman as a marketing director of, of my company, and I didn't realize when I did that, but it became like an article on LinkedIn. You didn't realize she was pregnant? Yeah, yeah <laughs> she told me, and I said, yeah. I don't care. You just do, you fix, you, you take care of that stuff. You know what the job is. If you trust yourself to do it, then it's yours. And, uh, and she was working remotely anyway, so it didn't really make any difference. And she did a great job, and... and uh, uh, yeah, I had no issue with that, and mm. I agree with you. the The loyalty definitely comes there because um, 
Yeah, in some some way, I th think that women often can be in a position, or, or moms can feel in a way rejected. Um, but uh, yeah, some of my best recruitments <laughs> over the years have been actually women coming out of maternity or, right. or in maternity. Yeah. Uh, but that's a side. Uh, I didn't want to. Yeah, I just wanted to talk nicely about myself a little bit. Yeah, uh, come on. Humble brag. Humble brag. Yeah, humble brag. No, brag. I think hiring an eight months old pregnant. Eight months pregnant woman. That's amazing. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well done, you. Um, uh, yeah, I needed this too. Um, but my mom came here to visit. I mean, she's been here many times to visit me. But um, I remember, she she said to me like uh, we went to a, like a traditional Czech restaurant um, in Vinohrady where I used to live, and. Um, and we were sitting there, me, my, my father and my mother, and we were eating, and, and uh, they were having beers. And, and uh, then my mom said, where are all the women? And I had never thought about this. And then I looked around at the tables, and every table were like three, four, five guys in the pub. And I had to, yeah, well, they're at home with the kids, I said. <laughs> and then I realized when I said this, how unfair this is, you know? And I'm, I don't know, I... I I often thought about it like um, if, if this is um, some sort of a conspiracy against <laughs> women because uh, all the people yes, in power, all the people in power are men, and it's up to them to change the maternity regulation to build more kindergartens, etc. Um, so isn't it just comfy for the guys well, as it is? It one theory says, and. Um, I'm actually not sure if I support this, but it doesn't sound so crazy. One theory says that um, restrict or creating impossible and very conservative or sort of, so to speak, traditional ideal of motherhood is the way how to keep the women, in other words, the competition... Away. Away. Mm. It is... it. The women now are the competition of the men. Mm. I mean... Saying this doesn't mean that I, again, as the cliche says, that I, you know, I put women against men and some war and so on. Nobody says that, but it's inevitable to see that if you have uh, now more than half of people come, uh, coming out of universities, abs uh, you know, the people who are graduating in the Czech Republic are girls. Mm. They're, and it, when I mention medicine, it's even 60%. They're mm. overwhelming, not overwhelming. Uh, Over, the, overrepresented in yeah. the population. Yeah. So they're more, so they're educated, and then in some um, age groups, there are more women uh, with higher education than men. And they prove over time, I think women, we, you see more and more and more examples, that they are absolutely capable of doing whatever the men can do, women can do as well. And I, I, you know, you feel like you can see it also in uh, some uh, stuff where traditionally we believe that they are physically unable, and that's not saying they're weaker, but they just they we have different bodies than you have. So that's that's not you know that's not anti-feminism. That's mm. just a fact. Yeah. But my favorite, my favorite example of this, and now we learn that it's maybe not true as well. That there are some women. Of course, not every woman woman can be a you know firefighter. Mm -hmm. Of course not. 
but there is there are few huge women who, who have great strengths and they're very brave and they absolutely dream of being a firefighter. Mm. So why not let them do their jobs? And then at the same time, there can be 50 kilograms uh, men who are tiny and scared of whatever, and they would never be a firefighter. So why insist on certain jobs being only for men when mm. you could have, and, and vice versa, they could be a great you know nurse men or they could be a great... Um, Te- teacher is now in the Czech Republic, tr- tr- you know, typically female. Fantastic teachers also, and it's great for the kids to see also also men. So mm. you can, but but back to the what I wanted to talk about the physical stuff is that um, there are great examples of uh, of these cliches how they turn not to be true after uh, the symphonic orchestras all over the world started to hire people when the commission who chooses the player don't actually see doesn't actually see the players the is, yeah. so you only hear them them mm. play and there were some of course I, i'm afraid I, I don't i don't really know the names of the instruments in english but there are like these huge thing you blow into Oboe you know? and yeah yeah uh, these things and there's especially one which is like huge you sort of have it around you yeah. i don't know what it's called it's it's like looks like an elephant yeah it looks like an yeah. elephant coming out of your neck and yeah. it's just crazy and there was this you know reasonable sounding belief that woman can't play this instrument simply because she has a smaller lungs that mm. you need a man to be able to play this and there was this famous case with some uh, orchestra in north america i forgot if it was, it was canadian or american where uh, the commission was absolutely blown away by one player on this particular instrument and i say it was the the best one they have ever heard that it it he or she changed the history of the instrument and all that and hired the person immediately, and they were loving it. And to their shock, they realized it's a tiny woman. Mm. It was a tiny woman. Mm. And somehow her lungs were fine. She, she could play the instrument, you know. So even in in the cases where we, there are obvious differences, and nobody is denying them, you know, always somebody says that feminists deny their differences between men and women. No, absolutely not. Of course there are differences. But... We're all individuals and we have individual talents and we can have, mm. you know, all sorts of talents. But the, 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 because on this, you know, if you take this as an example, you, there you're talking about um, like ideology, more like, uh, or let's say it's more of a social acceptance of that women and men stand equally on certain levels and whether it being a, playing in an orchestra or... or Doing certain jobs, but uh, but to fix some of those issues, do you think that 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 we need laws? I mean, or or, mm. or positive discrimination? I mean, how, how and how is that discussion here? Mm. Um, I have to say, I mean, I okay. And it also this comes with age that I learned to say I don't know. I think mm. it's it's more actually cool than to pretend you you have a strong opinion about something when you actually don't know. And I have to tell you honestly that I actually don't know. I I, I still am forming in the opinion about the positive discrimination because on one hand, I do see how it it kills the conversation. You you say positive discrimination, everyone's like, no, no, mm. no. It's mm. it's giving job someone just because she has a 
she's a woman, you yeah. know. And you can argue, of course not. I mean, those people would be idiots to hire someone just, it's someone qualified, but you also consider the fact that you have only blokes in your company, that you should mm. probably, you could use a different point of view, different life experience. Mm. Again, women are not the same as men because they have different life experience. But um, I do feel very strongly that, especially now when it's so polarized, the discussion, mm. that it's maybe not a good idea to go this way and really sort of mandatory rules that you sort of imply, you know, you sort of impose. force, yeah. impose, yeah, thank you, impose on people. And at the same time, we know there are certain uh, tools with which you can you can change the reality without the laws and without pushing as mm. much. So I'll give you a concrete example. I, I interviewed a guy uh, from Norway who uh, focused on women in science. And he said, for instance, that a great impact had a program where the bosses of certain scientific units, which mm. were overlooking some teams, were just simply little bit more focus on encouraging women to apply for grants mm. or to apply for certain positions. It's not saying you give it automatically to women. It's not saying women are better. It's just simply having in mind that women maybe have some obstacles. They believe in themselves less. They may be heard that women shouldn't be scientists. Maybe they have three kids and they are sort of uncertain if they mm. can manage to be, uh, you know, if they can succeed. Mm. You just keep these realities in mind and with that you encourage them and you or you more focus on saying are you okay do you need do you need more help with so it's more things? support than force more support than force mm. and i for example i give you a concrete example um i uh, from my from my job i i'm i work in respect but also i'm in charge of one section of the of the magazine so i am a sort of a boss in, in a way and I try to uh, do this also in my, you know, in my, it, how I manage the team. And for instance, there is, uh, there are some people with kids, but there is only one uh, writer in my team who is a mother and who is a, uh, you know, primary caretaker of the kids. And for instance, we have this situation when she came late to the meeting when we still had office, it was pre-COVID times and she was late. And somebody said, well, she's late. And what if somebody else is late? That's unfair because you didn't say anything or you didn't. And I said, well, I'm not going to say anything because she's late because she was driving her two kids to preschool. And so her situation is she has she's responsible for these kids and she's the primary caretaker. So I sort of it wasn't like I, 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 she, I she would have some advantages, but I had in mind her situation circumstances, yeah. so, so her circumstances mm. so i think maybe that's that's the way how, how to do it so mm. in politics you know you can you can not the quotas but you can uh, and again of course there are some people who absolutely don't want to help women and then they want to support them and they don't think they the women should be in certain places but um if if you feel there are not enough women in certain spaces and you want to do something about it there are ways how to do it without imposing laws and, and rules and mm. really being, you know, hardliner. Mm. But and I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but sorry, yeah, but I'm, I'm just thinking because, you know, if I... Um, <clears throat> then what you're saying is that we need to kind of believe that a male-dominated society where the 
balance of power sits a lot with the man because of, of caretaker versus provider roles that are very kind of, let's say, conservative here versus what I know, for example, from Iceland. Um, so we are saying, okay, we, we think we could change it, or it's possible to change this from the inside. Uh, because I can see that uh, versus then saying, no, let's change it with force, political force, and then people will learn it that it actually works and it's fine. It's good to have the girls around. You know, they, they contribute and they, they bring a different view. Mm -hmm. um, I guess these are the two kind of uh, conflicting. And then I'm thinking, okay, so if I look at this society here, who who is now raising those kids? In It's women. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're raising both the girls and the guys. Yeah. So are they are they actively doing this now? Are they encouraging their their daughters to mm. to seek a career or, mm -hmm. or? Well, not everyone, and that's why I say I sometimes I'm quite skeptical about the whole generational gap that young people automatically will bring something new because, oh, the new generation will... Well, I always say, well, of course they will, but at the same time, the young generation is raised up, raised by the old generation with mm. certain values. And you do hear stories how, you know, men in their 20s are demanding a very conservative uh, model uh, with their fr from their uh, girlfriends or, or wives, you know, that, that, all of, that they, they're not modern in the sense that they would think that they would have a two-career mm -hmm. uh, family and who would look after the kids and so yeah. on. But um, at the same time, uh, it is... Yeah, so so I want to say this, that and the kids are not only raised by the parents, the kids are also influenced heavily by teachers in school and even in preschools. And again, you would be surprised how conservative sometimes these uh, teachers in preschools are, and they're mostly female. And there are some, you know, su surprising stories I heard. I give you two, two crazy examples I heard in recent, like a year or so. So one story is about a boy who was about four, mm. and he loved to draw. He really liked drawing. Mm. And he came home one day and didn't want to draw. And his mother said, why are you not drawing? I said, I don't know. And she asked him again and he didn't want to say why. And then he just went on for, for a while. And after a while, he said why he was not drawing anymore. He was not drawing anymore because the teacher in preschool told him that drawing is not for boys and mm -hmm. it's only for girls. And he shouldn't do it because it's a, it's a girly stuff. Mm. And I say, well, hello, I would ask the teacher if, if you know, all the famous painters, uh, which, you know, we have in history, were, would be told this, that, you <laughs> know, you wouldn't have a 16 chapel to look at because yeah. Michel Michelangelo would be sitting, you know, somewhere sulking about not being able to draw. And the other story is uh, about a girl for, for, for a change. And she was told by a preschool teacher she she kept, she was obsessed with dinosaurs and she had these toys and so mm. on. And, she, and the teacher said it was not appropriate for a girl to play with dinosaurs. It's a boy stuff. And this is not the 80s or 70s or 50s. This is like last year or mm -hmm. year before that. Mm. So uh, I think the kids are shaped not only by the parents, which can be very conservative in how mm. they bring the kids, but also by the teachers in preschool, by the teachers in elementary school and so on. But back to your questions, how, how people are raised, their kids, it costs it can also cause a conflict mm. if you raise your kids differently because your 
you know, if you raise your kids differently, their grandparents maybe have a different view. Mm. So they tell them something differently or their kids hear something else from their friends because mm. the kids are raised differently. So sometimes it's not easy to raise your kids differently than is the cultural norm in, mm. in the respected country. And it could be, you know, it could be difficult. But at the same time, I think that if you, that is the only way to raise your kids, mm. that giving them the freedom to be whoever they want to be without the the narrow boxes of how they should be or how they th the parents of the society think that this how boys should behave and how girls should behave mm. and what they should wear i mean it's it's absurd this whole thing that a boy can cannot you know cannot have i don't know pink t-shirt and vice versa the girls can have a, you know it's just um it goes to an absurd details. Like, you know, I always say I like the history, historical context mm. saying that, you know, wearing, uh, I don't know, velvet and pink and, and uh, makeup and, and wigs. I mean, kings used to wear that a few hundred years ago. So mm. if it's not manly, then, you know, I mean, the absolute monarch of France who commanded like millions of people and he was, he had like 70 castles in these people's standards were not masculine enough because he wore like white stockings and, and yeah, makeup and, and you know it's just uh, absurd it goes to these like crazy details how mm. how the, these ideas how uh, what girl is and what boy is and how they should look mm. and behave and what their interests should be and all that when with f f you know feminism saying that women should uh, have an equal chance to to you know, be participating in society, in business, politics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, has then have we then kind of let's say reduced the expectations to them as as caretakers and and uh, I don't know uh, what they do at home because in some way I often feel that uh, when I look at uh, women that have really pushed and, and gotten into being involved in everything. They also need to do all the stuff at home, mm. so they actually there's just more on their plate than mm. it was. And so we kind of created some idea of some superwoman that has a career, kids, cooks, bakes, looks cleans. amazing, yeah, she's skinny, all that. Yeah. yeah, all of this has to be in place, otherwise she's not successful. And that goes back to the conspiracy. I mean, there are even some people saying that, you know, even the beauty ideal is a weapon against women. Mm. Because if you need to be 50 kilograms, you need to be skinny, it requires so much work and so much focus that you forget to be a world-class surgeon because you, you run all the time and you're on elliptical trainer, you know. <laughs> so, But I, d I don't believe that. But maybe it has something to do with it. But, yeah, it creates these... And, and on the other hand, I absolutely understand that some women are, are tired of this uh, because it, they, they received confusing messages. Mm. They are told they can be everything now because that's the modern world. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I always complain about the conservative views and so on, but at the same time, it's necessary to you know point out that we, we've gone so, so far. Absolutely, you know, women are studying universities, women are in great numbers joining army, all that. So, and they are, again... Um, there are some conservative parents, absolutely, but many, many women today, even even here, are raised with the notion that they can be whatever I want. They, they mm. absolutely can be. Yeah, maybe a grandmother will say, "Well, you should, probably shouldn't join the army, darling. It's it's very dangerous." But mm. 
if they want, I mean, there are no legal obstacles or, you know, they, they actually can do, they can choose their careers. But then, and this is, by the way, why so many young women will tell you when they were in their 20s, they mm. weren't feminists because mm. they didn't see the point. If they didn't didn't have experience with sexual violence or didn't experience poverty or didn't experience, you know, some some of the serious stuff and they were raised up in a nice family, they were told they can do whatever they want, they were supported, they went to study at the university. They didn't see the point. They say, what is this for? I can do whatever I want. I'm respected, I'm a woman, I can be a, you know, I go to medical school, all that. And very often they say they it breaks their, it or it changes around the time they have kids when mm. they realize it's not all solved and we still have these problems mm. so um i forgot what so I was when saying the about. reality hits <laughs> then yeah, so yeah. The, when the reality hits they actually realize that it's but but you're saying so so if you you you, you took these uh, french guys in the makeup and and um, what uh, i don't know three four hundred years ago hundred years ago or something um but in the same way you know uh if we look at if we i mean for example Monogamy and and a lot of all, like these things are relatively new in our culture. I mean, like uh, if you go back like two hundred years, then the male power was he had multiple wives and girlfriends and and blah blah blah. And it was part of the kind of the hierarchy in 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 society to be this guy, this alpha male somehow. And um, I mean. Haven't we actually come? If we if we think about it on the timeline of humanity, haven't we come really really far today, where women are not, at least in our cultures, not the property of men anymore? You know? Yeah. Um, I Thank mean, God. <laughs> and because you know, and and that makes me think. Okay, so is it is it realistic to think that a radical change will take place or do we just have to kind of wait for the evol evolution mm -hmm. that's a great question because it's always i think every change that happens in society that those people who were striving to do this change had the same had the same question and i think everyone who was working towards certain change got tired at some certain point of how long it takes mm -hmm. and maybe exactly as you say maybe lost the sense of how much it has changed mm -hmm. and but but it's all about balance you know but you yeah you can you, you st it's good to have in mind how much has changed i mean i like to always um do this test which was inspired by uh you know this israeli uh, uh, intellectual this harari Mm. Uh, Noel Harari. I uh, hope I'm not saying um, his. Yeah, the guy uh, from Sapi Sapiens. Uh, Homo Sapiens. Yeah. yeah, and he explains beautifully the change of women in society in comparing how women today lives uh, does certain things, and how women in uh, old Greece would be what she would be doing. And I can just for a check context, I can I can take a woman in I can take myself, and I can take a woman in Prague living in 1860, mm -hmm. so to speak. So I can I can vote. I can be a member of political party. I can own property. When I inherit from my parents, I I can inherit. I have my own money. 
I decided what's happening with my body. I choose a person I marry or who I date. I, I can join the army. I can be a judge. I can be a lawyer. I mean, it's endless. Mm. None of these things she could do. She couldn't inherit. She couldn't vote. She couldn't join uh, or even 100 years ago, you know, in like the year 1905, so to speak. So it's a bit of closer closer to us. Um, she uh, she didn't even, could as, as I mentioned, the law uh, about the family women actually couldn't really make dis any decisions about their children, their own children. The, mm. the father was the one who decided everything important. Mm. And even when they got divorced, she lost the custody automatically because they just simply somehow didn't see her fit to look after her own children. The, f the, they, the kids after a certain age went to her father automatically. So it is good to remember how much has changed. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, I think it, it is Harari or somebody else who said uh, the, and I, I don't want to say liberation of women because that's what the communists said, but the changes of women in society are the most amazing change in human history, in, in sort of social mm -hmm. structure, mm -hmm. the one or one of the, one of the greatest changes. If you look at it, it actually it does only take um, 100 years or so, 150 years, so to speak, you know, like really fully, full, full of change. But a 25 year old Czech girl doesn't want to wait 150 years. She doesn't have she that doesn't, time. No, she doesn't, she doesn't have that time. And, you know, as, as just I wanted to say one thing when we talk about the laws, I, I absolutely support legal changes and you can, you can do a lot of good by changing the laws. Definitely. You can, you can provide all sorts of, uh, uh tools and, um, you can again. It's it's the it's the support. So mm. the law doesn't necessarily have to be positive discrimination, but it could be that every child has a right for a place in a preschool, mm. or it could be that you don't have to leave for three years for a maternity leave. You can actually leave for short time, which was, by the way, uh, the change which was adopted. Um, a few years ago, and it, it had a great uh, response from women who say, thank God, you know, I mm -hmm. just want a shorter one, and then I want to go back to to work, which, again, by the way, is uh, what I would like to also mention is that it's about the freedom of choice, and it's if you say that if, if you want to stay at home with your children for 10 years, be my guest, you know, that I, I don't I don't actually know any feminist who would say it's wrong to stay at home with your kids. But if it's your choice, if it's your your choice. So going back to the to the legal questions, of course, there are so many things you can change. Mm. We can change with the laws. And then you see how the maybe the cultural norms change accordingly. You know, when I mentioned the stalking, I think that the society really started to maybe notice uh, stalking and maybe take it a little bit more seriously after it was, um, uh, the law was adopted. It's, it's actually a crime. It's not just a thing somebody does and he's a little mm. bit weird. No, mm. it's actually a crime. And you can go to prison if you do this to someone. Mm. And then you see people say, oh, well, if it's a crime, then we should consider it you know, serious. So mm. you, can, uh, you can influence cultural norms by changing the laws, absolutely. Mm. And with the speed, yeah. I mean, there was this great... Um, great scene in Mrs. America, the, the, uh, the TV show which premiered mm. um, uh, this year, which was about feminists in the 70s in, in America. And there's a great scene with Gloria Steinem 
which uh, she, she fought for legal abortion because mm. she had uh, herself illegal abortion when she was young and it was a traumatic experience and it was it really you know shaped her uh, views on this and there is a fantastic scene where again one of the things they tried to push through and it didn't it failed and they were all tired and she just sat there and said so for how long are going to you know young women are going to be sneaking to hotels where dodgy doctors are doing some dirty mm-hmm. weird stuff on them for how long do we have to wait for this for this change and well a few years after that uh, the constitutional court uh, adopted the, the changes and the, the abortion was legal so it's i think it's always a a struggle that some mm. people on the change Quickly, Quickly. Mm-hmm. some people don't want the change at all. Some people realize that social change takes years, sometimes decades. You know, some people don't accept it. Some people want the t- change to become faster, and they become frustrated. Mm. I mean, it's all. I don't really have um, an answer to this. No. But if you know, if you said the twenty-five-year-old girl, I, I would say this: if if there is one, if it would be just one twenty-five-year-old. A young doctor who absolutely dreams to be a surgeon, and mm. she watched Grey's Anatomy, and she wants to be married to Grey and operate on people. And some person tells her that she's worthless and she shouldn't be a doctor and shouldn't be a surgeon because she's just a walking womb for for babies. For her, the change is you know not quick enough. The, mm. the change should be tomorrow mm. because she's you know she should work immediately on her career if she wants to be the surgeon. She should mm. be trained and she should be mentored and all that. And we can all benefit from that. I mean, you know, if if someone will th- this guy who will say uh, women should be surgeons and women shouldn't be doctors, what if he's in a car accident mm. or he he has a sick heart or whatever and this woman he denies the right to fulfill her dreams and talents mm. will be the one who will save him in the operating theater so yeah yeah now it sound a bit like the dreamer but <laughs> you know what i mean you know yeah, you yeah. should you never know when you will or, or who shall become a scientist who yeah. will discover the, the cure for cancer the cure for or cancer or for yeah. covid you know yeah. i mean the the pfizer vaccine uh, which was developed by the Turkish German scientists. It's men and women. It's mm. it's a it's a it's a couple. So mm. there's a woman involved in the vaccine. So yeah. topic that is is kind of related to, to feminism which is the me too thingy mm. that that came out what three i think like three years 2017. ago 2017 yeah mm. and um, like it, it was for me looking at it, uh, it it was um it was good in some way and then i could also see some dark sides to it um and i obviously to shed a light into where people are abusing power and and uh, taking advantage of of their position towards some someone else is always going to be wrong um, and but then i was thinking well don't we have uh, the legal system to deal with this and do we need a hashtag mm-hmm. to 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 deal with this mm-hmm. kind of things so yeah. or is is me too actually is that a judgment over that our system has failed? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's a great question. 
I think the Me Too is a product of frustration with the legal system. Mm. Because very often you hear uh, Me Too uh, is mostly women who didn't speak up when it was happening and now they remember something happened 20 years ago. That's the cliché. Mm. But very often, if you look into it, I mean, if you look at the the guy with which it started, which is Weinstein, mm. people did speak up. People, women spoke up for decades. Therefore, many people around him actually knew about it. His, you know, uh, colleagues from the firm, and the system failed them. And by the system, I mean all sorts of parts of the system, being the immediate. Uh, firm the person is is from, but also the legal system police and, and the prosecutors. And you see so many cases where the police didn't act accordingly, the prosecutors didn't act accordingly, there were some, the, the women tried to do something, there were some lawyers who told them, you shouldn't report this because you will never win this because uh, such and such person is very rich and he will destroy you, which, by the way, was an unfair uh, assumption because if you're, uh, you know, with Weinstein, the focus is a lot on the actresses, but there mm. were so many young assistants from the firm. And these are stories. It's a 21-year-old graduate from university. It's her first job, and in her first or second week she's harassed by Weinstein who at the time is the boss of Hollywood mm. is the mega producer with millions and millions so the balance of power is so great mm. that of course she's not going to sue him of course even if she would report it to the police he will charge there with 10 lawyers each of them the top of their game mm. and he's out in, a, in five minutes so He's not now out. He is in prison now. But that's that's what the, the women were thinking. So the system, of course, not always failed. The system works and it's improved over time. But I think the the Me Too was to to great extent. And then you saw the frustration also of the people who joined the, at mm -hmm. the hashtag. Mm -hmm. Then many of many of the cases were I told about the fact I was harassed. I even, I give you a concrete example. I spoke to a girl, a young woman, who said uh, she was harassed badly in the public space by some men. And she came home and told her then boyfriend. Mm. And he first laughed. And then he said she was hysterical. And why is she saying such nonsense? And he's sure it didn't happen. Mm. And she described how hugely hurt she was by this reaction and how well eventually they broke up and so on so if we talk about system failing the victims it's not only the police but it's also society in a greater sense that uh, one uh, therapist actually told me and there are also some studies that majority of rape victims are mm. not believed by at least one person in their immediate circle, mm. either their family or their friends or some colleagues or someone. So the victims experience, um, th they're not believed, they're not heard, nothing is done against the perpetrators. And it happens partly because 
there are objective reasons. I mean, these crimes, very often they don't have witnesses. It's mm. only two people there. Mm. There are often alcohol involved. They're sort of blurred. I mean, mm. some, some of them are... Of, clear obviously you know mm. 60 year old producer 21 year old assistant it's in the office she doesn't want to do it she says no he goes on i mean that's but again no witnesses maybe she's drinking maybe she smoked some pot when she was 17 and all this is yeah, to discredit her to discredit her mm. is absolutely used you know so yeah but this this these are cases where i can sorry uh, to to um, sure yeah, th this is where I can say, okay, I can see the purpose of this, and I can see that it, this serves a good purpose because, in the end, yeah, it it it's stronger than the system that otherwise would fail her. But on the other hand, I also have seen and uh, cases where uh, Me Too was kind of covering, uh, let's say, something that I would just say hitting on someone in a bar or. Mm -hmm. or or complimenting someone in the office and ended up with the person being fired for, mm -hmm. for what he or she did. Yeah. And th that's where I think, okay, so well... The proportion yeah, of, of and, it. And, and also, like, when... If I, if I meet the girl in a bar and I flirt with her, uh, if she likes me, she will accept me somehow. You know, she will indicate back that she likes me. If she doesn't like me, do I then risk being accused of sexual harassment because I just am ugly or she I'm not attracted to her or whatever it is or mm -hmm. I, you know or I'm too fat or whatever. <laughs> so if if that then makes me a potential threat for me to be called out on a hashtag and named and risk then losing my job reputation mm -hmm. whatever blah blah blah, that's not really fair. You know, I I, I know this is a horrible cliche but i use it so so often and i just believe it so much that context is everything everything so to answer your concern you you we would always have to look into the concrete situation what actually happened what was the relationship those people in and if i take the example of you hitting at someone in in the bar there's hitting at someone and hitting at someone there is perfectly okay hitting and someone would say, hey, what's up? I don't know, mm. you know. How are you? How are you? Do you come here often? Do you, Yeah, <laughs> very original. Every every woman just flies immediately after this to your... Never fails. You know, to your embrace. Uh, but there is also, you know, I don't know, putting your hand in, in her, under her skirt. Yeah, yeah. Without yeah. even... In, without, I'm not saying that you should introduce yourself and then put... Without even introducing yourself no. or... Being vulgar or, again, I, I can give you a concrete example uh, from, from my experience. I was uh, sitting in a, uh, in, a re in a cafe, it was like two years ago, and I was reading a book. I was there on my own. And then all of a sudden the, the waiter came with a shot of some rum or something. I said, I didn't order that. And I said, those guys sitting over there, order it for you. I said, okay, thank you. So I wave at them. And then nothing happened. I thought that if you do this, then the next step is you come over and you say, say something. Nothing happened. Do you happened. come here often? Do you come here often? How do you like the rum? And so I drank the rum. Uh, didn't pay for it because they already paid for it. And just I had to be somewhere else. So I just stood up and, and uh, leave. And then on the way there, I'd say, thank you, guys. It was, it was a nice compliment. And they wanted to have some interaction with me. Fine. So introduce themselves. And one of them, as he was introducing, he, oh, by the way, they were both quite drunk at the time. And he sort of really violently pulled me towards him and started to kiss me. 
And I just didn't, I don't, I don't kiss people mm. when I see them For one the minute. Time, yeah, yeah. yeah, first time I actually meet them. And I said, well, what are you doing? And I sort of pulled away. And he started yelling at me, you bitch, you ungrateful bitch. And I said, do you really think that I'm going to kiss you because you ordered a shot of rum for me? Is this how you think things mm, work? Mm. They don't work like this. They, that, that's not how you how you hit on on a girl in a bar. Mm. Maybe on some, some, some of them, some, some women would be fine with it if there would be maybe some attraction or, but some of them wouldn't. And mm. so I think it, it very much every, I don't, I don't think there is, you know, they always, people ask me with the Me Too, so what is the line in the sand? Or what are the yeah, rules? Yeah, what are the rules? And you know what the problem is? The rules are, are created by every individual that's the problem of course there are no there are clear rules on violence and you know shouting at someone or touching their privates uh, if it's a stranger or attacking a, a minor Th that's clear that's that's a that's a criminal territory mm -hmm. but when it comes to flirting and seducing mm -hmm. and just connecting with people Everyone is different. Mm. And for everyone, different things are acceptable and unacceptable. And I fully realize that this makes it very confusing. Mm. Very confusing. And what also is very confusing is maybe, traditionally, women didn't speak up as much about what they like and didn't like. Mm. You know, mm. So maybe, I don't know, a few years ago, women would be very uncomfortable, but they would be like, sort of smiling awkwardly and they wouldn't say anything. But maybe now some younger women are very, very mm. clear about, you know, don't do this, I don't like this, I like that, I want that, I don't want mm. that. And I always have this metaphor um, when, I, when I'm trying to exp uh, explain this, that I have a metaphor, uh, you know, I always, always ask the people, because people are always asking me, so how do I know what I can do if certain things is acceptable for certain person, for girl A, mm. she's completely fine with it, mm. but then I meet another girl and she doesn't like it. So how do I how do I exist in this? How do how do I how do I operate in this world? And I always say, well, what do you do if you ask someone to come to your home and cook them dinner? Mm. What do, you, what do you ask? So do you ask, what do you like for food? Mm. So do, I'm, I'm making steaks. Are you okay with it? And the person says, no, I'm a vegetarian. And you don't shout at them for not liking steaks. I mean, maybe some yeah. people will. <laughs> but you say, okay. And if you it's make a weekend, them, maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you make them grilled cheese, mm. you know. Mm. Does it mean that steaks are bad food? No. People love great steaks, but not everyone. Mm. Someone is vegetarian. Somebody is even vegan. Mm. And maybe if you have great steaks a lot this month, maybe next month you want to have a break and, and need something else. I, I just want to say this, that individual preferences and things are respected in so many areas that it should be respected in such an important area such as dating and in, even in sex that everyone is different, everyone has different preferences and everyone is different. So if you you know ask about mm -hmm. specifically what, what you said about the, the hitting the girl, 
just uh, I don't know ask or yeah. I was watch the reactions. I yeah. mean, again with the steak. I mean, I I would I think I would probably notice. I would understand the reaction on a per, on a face of a vegetarian if I would cook him a bloody steak, yeah. and he would probably doesn't look like mm, he's not going to eat it. I'd say, okay, I w- what can I what can I cook? What what else can I cook you? But I'm not actually. I realize I'm not answering your question. You're asking if you if someone you do will be then reflected on as as a problematic, and I think this is something we should also keep in mind that everyone sh- and and again it shouldn't be. I'm not talking about no criminal behavior or really like repulsive mm. behavior, mm. but simply just maybe not the not the s- most skilled flirting mm. that we should just the w- the first round should be uh sort of off the table that should be allowed to be a bit silly or maybe a bit, a bit had a bad humor mm. and then if you express that you don't like it and the person still continues then the problem starts i think mm. i think the the first approach if if you not if you're not committing crime again if you're not committing yeah, something yeah, no. you know if you're not really crossing the lines then it shouldn't be considered uh, problematic. It, sh- it should be con- maybe p- problematic after someone expresses, you know, say uh, they don't want to talk to you or... Yeah, yeah, they this is, you know, I want to be alone. Or, yeah, or I'm going to be alone. And if you keep insisting and then maybe another another hour, that's another problem. Mm. And then if you follow, and if the person follows the other... Well, <laughs> and that's yeah, another yeah, story, you know. Yeah. It's always, I always say, it's always about the context mm. you can you, you don't have two situations which are similar mm. it's always about the context but it's a tri- it's tricky because i remember for example when when uh, some because i mean I, I think everybody can agree about this when it's about violence or or you are you're insist insisting you know you don't respect the limits that the other person is setting up i think everybody can 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 agree to that and a person who doesn't agree to that has some bigger issues in in their lives but uh, what some of the cases that came out in this and, and have been coming out has been about like, uh, you know, uh, my boss harassed me. He told me that I was wearing a nice dress. And when I saw this, I was like, shit, I said this so many times to women working around me and I had no intention with it. I would just actually liked it to tell them if, if they had a nice dress or, or your hair is cool or something like mm-hmm. that. And I still do it and I will always do it. But... Of course, I started thinking when this was going on. I was like, "Jesus Christ, am I, am I risking to be called out somehow?" And I felt that what happened was that we kind of built uh, an unofficial justice system that was based on social media. Mm-hmm. And if you were, let's say, if I was a, a professor in a university, and then somebody said, "Well, this guy, he..." Is 50 and he complimented this 20-year-old girl on her hair and uh, that's really inappropriate and then it would kind of escalate and he would be, you know, the p- people would share it. and blah. He lost the job, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, nah, that's not, th- this, this is not right, you yeah. know? Well, I think there... Uh, pe- people, I don't think that... It, it, when it's called campaign, it's, it's appropriate. It's not a campaign because campaign suggests it's organized by yeah. someone, that someone had an idea, then it mm. organized that there were some rules. There are no rules. It's mm. a viral movement. Mm. Therefore, everyone, everybody can join mm. and there are no rules to how to uh, communicate it, what to post, where, 
who to name and so on. Mm. And I absolutely agree that's the problematic part of Me mm. Too, the whole viral part. Mm. When you look into the part which is the the But it's also part, the fuel of the of the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But at the same time, there were some problematic cases there. But for so many women, I mean, I wrote about it several times and it, I always got so many responses that for so many women, this was a very important platform where they shared their experience. They didn't name anyone. For instance, in the Czech Republic, when you look at it, nobody named anyone. You know, mm -hmm. it was just all, this happened to me, that happened to me, but it was not named names like like mm -hmm. in States or, or in Britain. Mm -hmm. They just they just described what happened to them, and some of them even I wrote about several women. They just they they used the hashtag, and they just said, "Me too." I'm not going to say what. Yeah. I just want to join this. Yeah. And so many women told me how liberating it was for them. How to let it out. To let it out mm -hmm. first of all, and secondly, how they felt they're not alone because. People after this, after rape, after assault, after even harassment is very uncomfortable. I mean, even after that incident we, we talked about on the beginning, mm. I, you know, I joke about it, but I was deeply shaking. My hands were shaking and I felt very, of course, he hit me, you know, it was, there was a sort of a physical, physical attack. But it, it, when you're harassed, when you're um, harassed in public spaces and so on, it's really like, mm. you know, openly sexual, vulgar you really feel sort of weird. You, you just think, and, and many people tell you, what's wrong with you? Mm. You, you know, why did you, how did you provoke him? Mm. So many women with this experience feel that they are the weird ones, that mm -hmm. everyone else is normal and this only happens to them. And what Me Too changed was this feeling that they're alone in it and they felt relieved mm. that there are so many people who actually experience something and i can tell you i always say this at the at the debates i literally do not know a woman who wouldn't have such experience literally mm. i always do this check if if some of my girlfriends my mother my colleagues someone i interviewed and it it you know Somebody has 15 incidents, somebody has violence, somebody has this, somebody has just one crazy guy, you know, shouting at the street and it wasn't really dangerous. So it varies greatly, but so many women share this experience. And what you're asking is, of course, the second very important part of it. And it's really important what what happens, how, how does this affect men? Mm. And... Um, When you mentioned some, you know, some uh, uh, stories which were problematic, I think it was inevitable that it will somehow uh, be go to some extreme or some collateral damage. Yeah, it's mm. always with mm. every movement. Mm. You 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 know, crazy people join in, people who don't understand what it actually means, it, people who use it as a tool against someone. Mm. Absolutely, it can mm. happen. You mm. know, as a, as a weapon against someone, and uh, then what should happen is that people who decide about their you know specific individual's career should look at the situation and should not uh, succumb to the pressure mm. and they should you know sh do we actually th consider this 
you know, stepping over the line or is it some kind of mistake? The person apologized. It was just once. Mm. Again, it, mm. it varies. You know, yeah. you can have situation when somebody is inappropriate for 10 years mm. and is arrogant and mm. say those cows are reporting me. I'm, I didn't do anything wrong. And then you have someone, you know, just even thinking about is this appropriate or should I, you know, that means that you think about the the, the people and, and, mm. the, and the consequences. And mm. I I wouldn't want men to be decent men to be scared. I want men who do this to be scared from yeah. from the changes of the times. But I absolutely don't want normal men to be uncertain and and scared. And mm. uh, if and and I do see that that this is one of the consequences of the movement. And I, and it pains me because it's comes from maybe a bit I don't know misunderstanding why it was what it was for and mm. yeah. Um. I guess, yeah, like you're saying, I mean, um, you know, like uh, we, we will learn to use this somehow, like everything else that is a radical change somehow, it kind of finds a balance somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, or, or yeah, or creates a new balance or something like that, you know, like, uh, but talking about, because I mean, I think this was a very, how to say, me, me too was, um, I would say a very kind of, actual touch point between males and feminism mm -hmm. in a way because I think that men experience themselves more on the uh, on the end of being accused of something than, than women were and that yeah this was kind of one of the shapes or faces of, of feminism in some way and then I'm wondering now you know like we've had feminism for years and it's, uh, it's an ongoing movement it's not a uh, it's not like a three months project and then it's finished. You know, it's yeah. it's it's an eternal thing somehow and will be. And uh, how how are how are men? Are they involved in this? I mean, like here in the Czech Republic, are, do you see men and mm -hmm. kind of stepping into the feminist movement and and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there are there are several uh, men who are really sort of faces of of feminism and they are really important in the sense that um, some of them are what you would call some traditional masculine ideal mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so I know one of them my former colleague uh, he's a film critic uh, he's called Camille Filla and he weights lifts mm -hmm. and he's a big guy really really muscly muscly guy mm. And another one I would mention is Pavel Hodek. He's a lawyer and self-defense instructor, mm -hmm. and he's in you know in great shape. And and I'm saying this. I mean, this sounds maybe a bit stereotypical. Yeah, stereotypical masculine mm -hmm. and all that. But I think it's important. I'm I'm aware of all that. But I think it's really important. So I think it's important that these men uh, step up to the plate and mm -hmm. talk openly about why this is important, because. Uh, even if we like, uh, when we like it or not, sometimes you see that if it comes from a man, it's taking more seriously, and it's uh, it's maybe people listen mm. a bit more than when it's just a crazy woman, you know, talking about you know, crazy hairy woman. Yeah, exactly, crazy hairy woman, 
just uh, shouting nonstop about somebody. Be, you know, I mean, I am even uh, making fun of in in the office, um, and I'm, I'm making making the fun of myself. You know, mm. it's like that they just uh, uh, that Sylvie is on the watch for women who have been wronged and and ready to you know fight for them but so it's it's like yeah it's part of humor but what i mean by this is that you need that maybe the general public public needs to see that yeah it's not hairy monsters who hate men it's just people from all sorts of uh, parts of life mm. who understand uh, the society and understand and maybe also they bring it up also for the men because Again, we we talked about women, and maybe we joined. We mentioned um, uh, men regarding me too, but feminism focuses on men a lot because they also are not. Many men are not comfortable in the system. Mm. You know, many men are not comfortable in being raised uh, in the fact that they shouldn't show any emotions mm. and they should be tough and what the proper men should do and they should provide and they shouldn't be weak and they and they and it has. Uh, I wrote about it also several times that men commit more suicides. Men have m bigger problem with substance abuse. Uh, you know that there's so many with various. Um, sickness uh, they're sick uh, mm. more in mm. in some in some in some way than than women that they also face and many men are unhappy in the in the model that prevailing family model they they want a you know they don't want um, a cleaner and a and a and a nanny for their kids they just want to they just want a, a partner, partner yeah. and they want um they want their uh, way of life to be accepted by the mm. society. So I think it's it's also about men and and it all, again just to be to be more optimistic and on a positive note, you see more and more men uh, speaking publicly, and, that, mm. and that's great. And it also requires some kind of you know being a bit brave because mm. again there's oh there's the you know. Uh, they're called the B, the B males and all this mm. nonsense, you know, that they're just, they just want to want to be liked by the women. So they claim they're feminists and all that. But um, no, it's, it's yeah, a men absolutely should be part of the conversation because I say that there are no, you know, there's always the women's issue. There's mm. no women's issue. Ev everything is also men's issue. Yeah. Even, yeah, It's a know, so so issue yeah. of society, not just... I mean, uh, children also, I mean, there is no immaculate uh, conception unless... It, Unless your child was <laughs> created in immaculate conception, the mm. child has a father. So yeah. child care is also issue for men. Everything, you know, and the men are influenced by this, not only by, by when they have daughters and they realize also, many, also this is very interesting, that men realize certain things when they have daughters. They mm. see how their little girls are maybe treated differently and all that, and they fear that they will be victims of something, some, you know, bad things. And that they all, all of a sudden, they see why it's still needed um, to be discussed, this, this topic, so. Mm. But just to dampen the positivity here a little bit, uh, Sylvie, then uh, I actually read today about uh, a study in the US where uh, men were asked what traits they were looking for in their, their partner, female partner, and none of them, no, on top five was not independence, but all of them were asked, what traits do you want your daughter to have? <laughs> they mm -hmm. all mentioned independence as number one. So it's interesting that, that in some way men, <laughs> maybe we are just not secure enough in our own skin that we, we still need someone to depend on us, and that's, or it's our nature, or you know how mm -hmm. we are, our DNA is coded. 
but uh, we would like our daughters to avoid assholes like us so we <laughs> wanted to be independent you know yeah but then wh- who are the partners of these independent daughters if you know yeah. like who, there will be no one they, they will not be alone yeah yeah they will be just yeah. alone with the cat in the yeah. flat yeah. <laughs> that's another feminist stereotype that's such a stereotype and i have to say until recently i had two cats so i was completely oh. <laughs> fulfilling these and i love them too very much, but they both died recently, so it was very sad. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. And th- you see this uh, also, you know, uh, in how sometimes men uh, view differently uh, their their partners and some other women. Mm. And and of course, I I very much appreciate when men realize certain things when they have daughters. But I have to say, there is this there is this contra argument that some feminists made. Uh, that says uh, so men r- need to understand this because of their daughters they can't related they to can't the women, relate yeah. to every woman that walks yeah. around and their mother their partner they mm. have the daughters with so mm. and that those are very close women you have in your life so mm. do you really need uh, daughters but for me personally that's a bit you know over complicating things i mean yeah. okay that fine they realized it because they had daughters. They they see it. They think it's important. They talk about it. Great. Mm. Let's support them. You mm. know. So yeah, yeah. Let's not uh, because it came from the wrong area. Let's not kill it. Yeah. Let's but not let's not bitch about everything. Yeah, you know. Let's not. Yeah. <laughs> let's just be sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, there is like in some way f- feminism has become a product. I mean it, and and I'm I'm thinking does that weaken the let's say, the power of it or, or, or kind of dampen the effect that it has because you can see that it, it's, it's being used in very much in commercial purposes and stuff like that. How does that affect? Hmm. I, think, <laughs> I think it's a time for another, I don't Two know. Two hours. <laughs> okay. do, do you have the 20-second? Uh, is it a product? Is feminism a product? Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't have a strong opinion about this because mm-hmm. on one hand... Absolutely, it can lead to sort of the idea being sort of empty and just abused for commercial purposes. But then on the other hand, I think, what if there is a 12-year-old girl and she buys a T-shirt in H&M, which says everybody should be a feminist, and she Googles it, and she founds that book of the same title, and she reads it, which is a great book, or she reads something about uh, Wikipedia or else, mm-hmm. and she realizes, oh, this is interesting, maybe I'm, what is what is this about? So it does promote maybe certain ideas. Yeah, so it kind of keeps the concept in... Yeah, so I'm... I'm a bit torn. I don't, I don't actually know. I don't, mm. I'm not sure if it if it uh, helps or if it uh, damages. It out, yeah, yeah. yeah, but um, I don't know if it. You know, it could be if you if you if it's the way for you to discover certain things for certain. For of course, not everyone. I mean, everybody. Somebody will buy it just because. A, influencer on instagram has it and she will just wears it and doesn't really care about anything but uh, some people it can be it can be a sort of a um, tool to bring certain maybe points or uh, terms to certain people who could be maybe interested more but again i'm so I'm, the visibility is basically increased yeah anyway. yeah 
Okay, so Sylvie, um, you are kind of the, as I said earlier, uh, poster girl of, of feminism here and, and very much visible in the media. And I, I mean, lucky I don't. Lucky me, lucky me. Yeah, I don't speak. <laughs> I don't speak Czech, but I can see that. Um, sometimes I can see that when you communicate or, or, or um, how do you say, express your opinion on something, you get a lot of feedback and not all of it good. And I sometimes I think, Jesus Christ, why does she keep doing it? Mm-hmm. So why? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I keep asking that myself sometimes. Um, because I just uh, simply think it's important. I feel mm. like if, you, if you're drawn towards something despite it being unpleasant or the consequences of the activity you do are unpleasant, mm. which exactly as you said, very often are, and they absolutely are. And I am sometimes... I mean, I sh- probably shouldn't be saying this because I'm always torn if I should s- speak about it openly because then you show yeah. the people that you're vulnerable. But I am sometimes really, really hurt by the comments, you know, especially that I hate men, that I just hate everyone, that I want to change the society so everybody is unhappy and that I'm... And that some some very personal things, you know, mm. that I'm fat and ugly and unlovable and unfuckable. Now the swearing comes mm. in. Or the, or the opposite, that maybe I'm pretty, but I'm completely stupid. I'm stu- so stupid that I can only stupid person could write this. And I am, uh, you know sexually provocative so that's that's why everyone always you know that i have these weird experiences and and people uh, discuss what you wear your hair your makeup your everything just everything about you personally and that's very unpleasant i have to say mm. that's and especially to be a, a you know um, to vit- witness it or be a target of it on a, for a long time like for years mm. but at the same time i i hate to be you know, whining about it because I, I chose this voluntarily. I stay on this path, as you mentioned. I do it. I c- come back to it, and the reason for it is that I just simply um, find it important. You mm-hmm. know, and again, I can yeah, I can sound like a dreamer, but it it is on emotional level. It absolutely breaks my heart to hear that some young woman who dreams to be a doctor, as, as I said, you, know, you can have a different different stories, or some little girl who loved chemistry and she wants to be a scientist and she does all that, and then she comes to the school and they tell her that women shouldn't be scientists, mm. or, or some idiot tells her that she should only... Because she will have kids, she should she should not really focus on such and such project she's passionate about. Mm. I just hate to see people's talents and passions and mm. dreams just be like crushed by these comments and you know. And very often people say, "Oh, it's just a comment," but it's not. It's not. If you hear it on daily basis, if you hear it from your family, if you hear it from authorities or your role models if you hear it from people who are important to you and you respect them it it can crush you and it can discourage you and of course many people it doesn't discourage them and they're really strong-headed and they just want to do it but many people are and I keep you know remembering that there are people like this and people who are um, struggling maybe with this or Mm. that there are concrete consequences of the the situation that's still uh, unfair towards women and if you hear, I f- fortunately, and to balance it, I have a negative feedback, but also have 
tons and tons of positive feedback and mm-hmm. the greatest kind really when people tell you I changed my mind you changed my mind mm-hmm. I see the problem I didn't mm-hmm. think it existed and I read your articles I see the problem or I thought this is my greatest one I, and I really really mentioned it this one guy wrote to me that he saw me mentioned on the social media and he saw some of my comments maybe which was a bit aggressive some of them and based on this he really created this idea that I am this you know aggressive woman who hates men and all that and he really believed it and then he somehow came across some of my articles and then he ended up digging and reading some of my other articles again this is a humble break but i wrote we have the sort of countdown on our website and i wrote about 1600 uh, articles for respect so it's a mm-hmm. lot and he wrote uh, many many of them and he, then he wrote to me um, like a great uh, message on messenger and said i want to apologize to you. i really believed what i heard about you uh, and then I read your work and I, your stuff is balanced. It's not, uh, you know, it's not crazy emotional. Let's, let's do this. Let's do that. It's, it's proper reporting. You cover other things. You're not one dimensional, you, you know, all that. And mm. this was really made my day because that means that someone really saw the light, saw the light and mm. took their time. And I said, thank you so much. I mean, don't apologize. I didn't know you, th- you thought I was a crazy bitch, mm. but thank you. So the feedback is, or people, uh, quote your stuff in their books or, mm. uh, you know, you inspire someone to create something, some exhibition or whatever. But mostly I feel like I, I just do it because I feel it can it can improve people's lives. I know mm. this sounds so, you know, No, no, but stupid, uh, it's, uh, it's but like Havel with his dreams, you know, it's these are your dreams. Yeah. And <clears throat> I, you know... I, again, can give you a concrete example. I recently wrote about abortion, not uh, not the. Um, I don't know how. <laughs> what's the difference in 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 English? That one oh miscarriage and abortion. So I wrote mm. about miscarriage. So it's something you don't plan. It happens very early on the pregnancy, and uh, and so on. And I wrote a really long article about it, and I received so many reactions from women and men because mm. if you lose a child as as a future father you you you're, you're sad you lose yeah. a child you also and then you care you know you care for your wife because she's also sad you you're uh, nervous about her health if if she will be able to get pregnant again all that it's it's a great drama for for everyone there and i received so many reactions saying thank you that you mm. wrote it that we again didn't feel like weirdos that so many people experienced it so many people were crushed by it, were absolutely devastated by the experience. And when they read an article saying it's normal to be devastated, it's normal to be sad, but at the same time, it's normal also to experience it because it happens a lot. So don't feel like a weirdo. It happens. It's very sad, but it happened to many people before. And there is a hope at the end of the tunnel saying many, many women who had a miscarriage also had just perfectly healthy children. So this, you know, this this kind of feedback that you feel that your work actually has an impact on people, mm. or if you write about, you know, some woman who is exceptional in something, and somebody says, "Oh, I didn't That's know an women." Inspiration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know women can do this. Mm. Or yeah, an inspiration. And you maybe there's a little girl who's growing up somewhere, I don't know where, and she has again has a dream and wants to be this, and then she sees in the magazine a portrait of 
a box female boxer or a scientist mm. or whatever mm. say okay i can be this you know yeah. so it has so many angles to it yeah, yeah so many mm, versions of what uh, what you can actually actually do and there is a there is a positive impact so mm. yeah this keeps me going and at the same time also sometimes some somebody tells you something that you can um you can just sort of say okay that's that's very nice when they say well you know um only uh only really imp- you know people who are strong in something creates create or uh, inspire this much s- strong reaction it means that you do if it's such a strong reaction it means that you actually you're doing something, something right you're doing yeah. something right yeah. you know which i'm not sure if it's true but you also sometimes want people not to just you know polarize them you yeah. want them to come together yeah. and see it but but uh, the yes. extremes have to be in both directions because then we can find the balance somewhere in the yeah. middle i guess i mean and, and then somebody has to i mean I think, I mean, when I look at f- f- feminism in different f- forms, and, and, and I mean, there are a lot of flaws to this, but there are flaws to everything, every philosophy, every movement. You yeah. can always find something where you Absolutely. can poke at it and, and say that there is something wrong. But someone has to keep the, the discussion going. But maybe if, <laughs> now I'm thinking, okay, if, if if you could give advice to, let's say, the stakeholders, you know, parents, kids, uh, teachers, grandparents, uh, company leaders if, if what how can they i don't know be more <laughs> feminist mm-hmm. you know um i think this is um again it's potential there's a danger that it's a, i will sound like a like it's a cliche or, mm-hmm. but um and it's not always doable i am very aware of that but see everyone as an individual is mm-hmm. the best advice i can give See them for who they are, mm. you know, mm. not as you think they should be mm. based on how you were raised to believe that uh, men and women should behave, should uh, aspire, should uh, have emotions, should uh, just generally exist in the in the world. And again, as I said, I... I am fully aware that sometimes it's you know it's not doable. I don't know if you're a teacher and you have a class full of kids. It's uh, it's a difficult job, of course. Yeah. But you know maybe when I mentioned maybe don't 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 tell four year old boys that drawing is for girls. Mm. You know ha- what harm does it do if a boy Wants is to drawing? Draw. Yeah, yeah, you know it's it's harmless. It's completely yeah. harmless, and he could be a future fashion designer he could be a future painter he could be someone ama- amazing and mm. just don't always just and un- of course unless it's a behavior that is harmful to others let these and of course you have to raise them and teach them manners and all that of course yeah. there have to be there are some limits but uh, respect people as individuals with their individual talents and uh, dreams and 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 uh, choices they want to make, mm. which can be completely in the you know not not compatible with the, the, the gender assumptions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but um, like um, when I listen to you here, um, I wonder. Okay, so what if I meet you in fifteen years? Where will you be then? Will you still be doing the same, or will you be in politics, or will well, you be writing books? 
<laughs> I don't know. Well, I'll still be working with the pension system going to, you know, where um, not doing well. <laughs> so I will still be working. I'm not, I have to say that, you know, regarding the current uh, situation about media, I'm not sure if I'll still be, if there will be even some media that, mm. because the, the, uh, the, the whole journalism is in long-term crisis and, you know, people read less and less and there, mm. some of them are not willing to pay for information, even though you try to explain to them that, you know, you wouldn't expect to have uh, free food at the supermarket mm. or free whatever mm. jacket at H&M. Yet, however, they, you know, they, yet they expect uh, to have product of very hard work which costs money because you have to go somewhere you have to take pictures of the people all that you go to the library all that to be free and that's uh, that's a danger to my job and and my colleagues jobs so i don't know if in 15 years back and to I the glue yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like an elderly lady elderly glue lady <laughs> a little bit yeah, a little bit drier high, and not so high. not so plump and, and maybe a bit high i wouldn't mind that yeah that would be a uh, mm. you know yeah. Looking towards the pension, which will be miserable. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I, I, no. uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it all open. I, yeah. uh, I, I have to say that sometimes when I'm really tired, I can't really imagine I would be doing this in 15 years because yeah. it is. It takes a lot. It takes a lot. Yeah. It takes a lot. But uh, yeah. I, okay. I don't know. I don't know. But some people say, yeah, that I should go to politics. I don't. I don't see myself in politics we'll because see. I. I find it too uh, dreadful to just respect the party lines. I mean, because I'm spoiled, you know, I'm spoiled from respect. I mean, the creative freedom we have there. Yeah. I mean, of course, it has limits, but there are a few of these limits. You mm. are respected as an author. You can choose your own topics most of the time. You know, you you just, uh, even though actually today we had this discussion with the uh, editor-in-chief that when he didn't agree with some some part of some article, but he left it there. He mm -hmm. said, no, it, this is this author opinion. And, then and he this left you wouldn't there. be allowed to do in politics. Yeah, and you wouldn't be to do, mm. you wouldn't be able to do this in mm. politics unless you are, you know, of course, some, king of the world. I, I, unless I would be some crazy lady boss of a party when dictator. everybody does what I say. Sit with the dictator. <laughs> yeah, but so I don't know. No. I don't. I don't know where I'll be. Where, where do you think you're going to be? Me? I don't know. I, I'll probably not be a very successful podcaster because uh, we are very <laughs> close to approaching um, the three hours. Kanye hour, West time. Yeah, Kanye West time. Three hours. Uh, but <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, anyway, so what if people want to know more about you or follow you or something? Do you have any? I mean, they can read respect. Please do respect, subscribe, it's yeah. the best. We have audio version, you mm. can drive or you can wash the dishes and listen to our articles or you can go for a run. Mm. And we have also podcast, we have mm. a great podcast um, uh, and uh, we are everywhere on, on social media and me personally, I'm on Facebook under mm. my name and I'm on in Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. Okay. I decided to rebel a little bit against this uh, dictatorship of social media because, again, it's a bit crazy there. Mm. In a good way and in a bad way. Takes a lot of time. Uh, yeah, a lot of time, a lot of energy. A mm. lot of frustrations. Sometimes frustrations. But uh, at the same time, it's a great journalistic tool. I mean, everything I need, every kind of... Every type of res you know person for a text with mm. all sorts of experience, I find through social media. I just mm. say, please, everyone, do you know someone who speaks, I don't know, Mandarin and is specializes in medicine law? 
and in 10 minutes you have five people. I who didn't even know that that person exists. Uh, I just I just made it up oh. right now, but <laughs> I'm sure you know. I'll test it tonight. I'll yeah. just I'll see. But so, uh, yeah, so so that's Sylvie Lauter, mm-hmm. L A U D E R. Exactly. And uh, Sylvia S I L V I E. Exactly. Um, so that's great. Uh, and you're writing a book. I'm writing a book. Yes. When does it? come out and it's about feminism it's about feminism it's about um you know have in um, americans how they say you should have an elevator pitch yeah so you should introduce something in what it is 20 seconds or 30 yeah. seconds so my elevator pitch for my book is it's a book for people who say what the hell is this feminism still about don't don't aren't they happy that they have a right to vote why, why are these crazy women still talk about uh-huh. the answer is this book it okay. explains you where we are actually at the moment. And, in, where, in and where we need to go. Or? Where we need to go, okay. yeah. But it goes to a great details to explain various topics from work to um, caring, uh, child care, uh, gender pay gap, violence, uh, all, all sorts of things. Mm. From uh, I focus on Czech reality, but also have one chapter about the global reality because that's also important. You know, there are so many ongoing topics regarding women globally mm. that are still, you know, still important. Mm. So it'll be, I mean, it's not go- definitely not going to be like a scientific book for advanced feminists. It's uh, more, the, the, the plan is to, you know, actually those people who say, you know, feminism is really just horrible and, mm. and uh, to break the hairy man-hater myth, myth that show that it actually has a merit and it, it makes sense and mm. it is necessary because... And the book follows. <laughs> and when <laughs> and when is it coming? I, I don't have a date yet because I have to finish it writing. Mm-hmm. I have a, like a, a round, uh, I'm a bit, I would say like half of it already written. So I would say next, uh, um, we're now completely overwhelmed with COVID and other things. But so I don't have uh, man, much time to write about, to work on it. But um, next year, definitely not. Okay. But maybe year after that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... Other than that, guys, you can follow my show on uh, on Facebook. Um, it's called The Bunker. How the hell did the end appear? Just in case you were wondering what you listened to. And, uh, and congratulations to everyone who is listening right now to still, the end. And I here. want to personally thank you for being able to spend so much time with my ideas and <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> and thank you for inviting yeah, me. Thank you're, you. You're welcome. I was happy to have you. Um, I have a... Uh, uh, Thanks to the sponsors. I am also now available on, on I'm on Spotify, Google, uh, Apple, and Podbean, and now I'm available on something called Partus.is, which is for Icelandic speakers. So uh, that's an Icelandic podcast page, uh, hosting some really cool podcasts. Um, and I think I have, I don't remember what I was gonna say more, probably nothing, um, no. So that's cool. See you guys around. Thanks, Sylvie. Have a nice evening. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Bye.